Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Please Bet on Football Games podcast. I'm your host, Alex, with the on-air talent, Joe. How you doing, Joe? It's finally time to talk about good, good quarterbacking. Like, we're not talking about the OK B minuses. We're not talking about the it can get you through C pluses. We're talking about Bs, B pluses, and different kinds of A. These are the dudes. These are like dudes who could carry. Yeah, these are the guys that are exciting to talk about. You're kind of like nitpicking issues, but they're mainly really good players. And it's just varying levels of how good they are and where their smaller weaknesses are and how you kind of have to plan around them. But these are good players. They're fun to talk about. I'm excited. This is the last uh, episode of the quarterback rankings. We're going to finish it out on a high note. But first, we got some news today. Do you want to talk about the Kyler Murray contract? Yeah. I I mean, so if you want to like actually hear an in-depth breakdown of Kyler Murray and where he ranks, go check out the C pluses podcast because he's our 21st ranked starter on this list. Um, I mean, I think the Cardinals really fucked up committing. It's not even that they paid him too much because like, yeah, NFL cap money is mostly fake. And on Sundays when we're making bets, we don't get a bonus if we bet on the team that's efficiently cap allocated. But just committing five years to a quarterback that not only isn't any good, but really hasn't given you a reason to... The Cardinals signed him because they're afraid he'll go somewhere else and be good. And that's a terrible place to be operating from. That's basically my analysis. I think they're afraid of him holding them hostage and having to deal with a contract situation throughout the season because he's already played a little bit of those games. And if they continue to let it play out into the season and then he's unhappy and the guys feel it. And it seems like Kyler is, you know, a little bit of he rides on his emotions and it's why he can be kind of streaky as well. So I think they were wanting to avoid that and it caused them to just massively overcommit because like you said, the money's bad enough. I mean, 160 million guaranteed is a ton. It's not, you know, franchise crippling, but they're tied to him for a while. Well, it's the same like when you're, (laughs) I'm very familiar with this recently. You'll have to dig back a little further, but you've been there too. It's like when your team drafts a bad prospect in the first round at quarterback, like what used to be my Bears drafting Trubisky and then Fields. Like each time it happens, you're like, oh, there goes five years. Like a high school kid who's a Bears fan when Trubisky gets drafted, they're not going to be good until he's finishing up college. Like period. It's just how it goes. And it's kind of the same deal with Kyler now. Like if you're an Arizona Cardinals fan, you might as well go start a grad degree because they won't be good until you're done like they, they'll they yeah, be I, middling they'll be middling yeah but. i think they'll always be generally competitive especially with cliff there because that offense is always going to be humming to a certain extent and kime has his issues but he's a pretty good gm for the most part allocating talent so they're always going to be competitive but they just won't be able to push through and they've had a lot of those late season failures that we think are more on kyler than cliff so it's not going to get better if you know they have another solid year where they sit around 500 maybe challenge for a playoff spot and they fire cliff because they're like all right we need a new guy to push us to the next level it's not going to do anything because it's yeah, on it, it, if anything that's the cliff right and like oh that was a good pun i didn't even mean it <laughs> i i completely thought you you had that one written down ready to go no i did i totally all right so yeah if you fire kingsbury that's the cliff but um but also, like, what's the upside of Kyler Murray right now? Like, if you're if you're signing him right now, like, oh, maybe he gets better. Like, is he going to hit a growth spurt in his mid-20s? Because the big issue is that you can't throw the ball between the hash marks. 
So like, how does that get better? He's not, he could get more accurate on the outside, but that's not really his issue. He can make better decisions, but people don't blossom. Like quarterbacks don't typically blossom that much mentally until they reach like their 30s. So like, where's the the thing that's truly crippling his game is not a thing that can be changed ever. Exactly. And he's already shown issues with injuries and he's a guy that is small and takes not a ton of hits, but more hits than the average quarterback does. And God forbid his legs go. Right. And so and he's already looked bad playing with injuries. Some guys play with injuries really well. Like they fight for him. I mean, Matt Stafford is a guy that would always play well despite having some ailing issue. Kyler, it seems like he gets hurt and then he falls off a lot. And so yeah. that's another issue of a 17-game season. Is he going to hold up on top of already needing to get better at throwing in the middle of the field? Yeah, I, I don't want to do this but I have to. Some people throw around the term mental midget for like people who just get really in their head and like let things snowball. And this is not a short joke at Kyler. He's the same height as me. I can't talk that much shit, but he is absolutely the type of player where when it rains, it pours. When he gets hit like one or two times, you see his accuracy dip. You see his decision speed way the fuck up in a bad way. Like it seems to me that when adversity meets Kyler, adversity beats the shit out of Kyler. And yeah, I just don't want to be investing five years of my franchise, five additional years of my franchise in a guy who has proven that he's not going to transcend adversity. If his legs fade, that's really a bad sign. His legs are certainly going to fade as he approaches 30, which is like when this contract ends and he literally can't throw to a third of the field. Yeah, it's, it's really tough, man. And you're, you're tied to him. Like he is your guy for the foreseeable future. I talked to a Cardinals friend, um, Cardinals fan friend of mine today. And he was like, yep, I'm now just rooting against them every time Kyler plays and hoping that Colt McCoy pulls a Nick Foles and just unseats him and causes the Cardinals to dump Kyler. Well, I'll close it out with this. The Cardinals are just one of those teams that in my head aren't a real NFL football team. They feel like a minor league football team. I just can't care about them. Certain teams are always this way. Unfortunately for uh, Baker Mayfield, the Carolina Panthers are kind of this way in my head. Like they're not a real team. Bashaw. Um, this deal kind of solidifies the fact that I won't have to worry about the Cardinals being a contender for a while. They will continue to be kind of a fake team. It's a rough spot to be, but that's the Cardinals. All right. To start off this week's quarterbacks, somehow at number eight, who do we got? Um, my, my number eight ranked starting quarterback for the year 2022 is Marcus Mariota. And yes, I know. how. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I know. I expect, I expect as much, but I gotta, I gotta be honest. I gotta be honest to my evaluations. I know how fucking crazy I sound for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I disagree with the evaluations a little bit, but I can't disagree with you too much because I haven't watched anywhere near the number of snaps about him. I just feel like there is a lot of uh, not factoring in what we've seen with him and his incredible amount of injuries. But so, yeah, let's talk uh, about the evaluations. Well, no, 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 because I got to get the I got to get the disclosure out, the disclaimer, rather. I don't factor in injuries whatsoever, like at all, like frequency, how it's going to affect people going forward. In my head, it's Madden. Everybody's injury rating is the same. Nobody gets worse because of injury unless it's a skill position player, because I can't judge that shit. Like there are two things that I'm mostly not going to take into account unless I have like really hard evidence. And that's, well, I guess this would count as really hard evidence, but I just don't take into account injuries. And I mostly don't take into account like off field shit that 
it's rumored or like ambiguous because I like there's definitely something to both of those things. I just don't know it, so I can't deal with it. See, I generally agree with you that injury shouldn't factor in unless there is such a track record of injuries yeah. like we have with Mariota. Oh, and he is like, always he's so played injured. Some, he's played some seasons where he's gotten, I don't know if he's played complete seasons, but darn near. Yeah. But even then, in those years, he was always playing beat up where he had shoulder issues and finger problems or his ankle was rolled. And then the last couple years, he's been in backup roles and still managed to get hurt i'm gonna say he started the season on the pup list last year because he hurt his shoulder somehow in a preseason or practice game um so yeah he's made a glass he, just period that's a thing and if you're betting on the falcons and like a long-term bet you're gonna have to factor in desmond ritter starting a substantial amount of games because there's a really good chance Mariota makes it through two before he's done but when he's on the field when he's playing, when he's passing, which in the Mike Malarkey offense was like not a given. Um, I went back and watched the last eight games of tape that we have on him just because that's like everything in the last three or four years, three years, going back to 2018. Um, he, he's like better than I remembered. Like in my head, I was like, Marcus Mariota is still pretty good. Like he should start. And I went back and I watched and I'm like, Marcus Mariota is like fucking good. Like this dude is, I really like his game and we could get into that, but I just want everybody to know that I know I sound crazy and I know that I'm ignoring injuries and I know injuries are important, but we're just talking about when he's healthy and on the field. Cause that's all I can do. All right. Well then <laughs> let's talk about when he's healthy and on the field. What'd you see when you watched his game? So first of all, the guys just like traits wise, he's not Josh Allen. He's like a different kind of quarterback, but he's same idea built in a lab, like legit strong arm. Four, 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 five speed, like really fast and just so accurate with really good zip on his ball. Like he's everything you could want in a certain way. He doesn't have like that power game that Josh Allen has, but he's got all the finesse. Um, his arm is really good. It's a B plus arm strength, I would say. So it's not like a cannon. It's not in that upper echelon, but it's you're not taking any plays off the table because of his arm strength. And he does throw with really good velocity. He throws a really nice bullet pass. And just like at Oregon, his accuracy is really good. Um, a lot of the problem, like he threw some picks in Tennessee and he never put up good passing stats. But like his number one wide receiver was Corey Davis before he figured out how to play football properly. And Mike Malarkey was running exotic smash mouth football, which is halfback dive from different angles. He was castrated. Yeah, I remember those games where he was throwing like 15 times and it was for like six air yards per attempt because it was just a running game and occasional dump offs. So this this illustrates it really well. When you look at, so I grade every drop back, right? And I do every kind of, I, there are categories of my grades. Um, all the passes go into one of six categories, elite, great, solid, pedestrian, bad, or pickable. Uh, so these are just aimed passes, like not throwaways. Typically the average quarterback, and I've, I've graded, I've done this for 26 Six quarterbacks now. The average quarterback like throws a pedestrian pass on 36.5% of their snaps. 
which is the most, right? Like your dinks and your dunks and your short curls. This, this makes sense, right? That's most of what a quarterback does in today's NFL. 36.5. That's average. Mariota threw 15.8. And that's not because he's throwing the ball downfield so much. No. In fact, his percentage of, of throws, like his elite is below average. He's great below average, solid below average, pedestrian below average, bad, way below average in a good way, interceptable, way below average in a good way. Because most of the time they're not fucking throwing the football. It's what's going on. So I, I, it was a low volume passing offense, which is extremely disadvantageous to the quarterback in a bunch of ways. But for our purposes, it's kind of frustrating because we just don't get great sample size. And the Titans lost a lot of games because they just had just abysmal coaching. But we also saw what happens when Mariota plays for John Gruden in Oakland one time, one time, and actually throws the ball in a relatively high volume passing attack. His most recent game was 2020 week 15 against San- or LA Chargers. And it was one of the best graded games I've ever evaluated. He was fucking unreal. Really the best ever? No, not the best, but extremely close. For a minute there, it was the best ever. And then he threw a couple bad passes towards the end and knocked it off. But yeah, I mean, he had, it, it was crazy. He had a 19.25 slugging grade. For re- uh, for reference, anything over a 10 is usually an A. So this guy fucking balled out on, you know, coming in in relief without any starter reps in practice, like really balled out. Didn't he and get I mean, hurt at the end of this game? A little bit. Yeah, yeah, because I thought he had this game and everyone was like, oh, my God, Marcus Mariota, he's back. And then he got hurt and just didn't play again. Um, So he was banged up. He could have played. Um, And in fact, Derek Carr came back the next week, despite a doctor's recommendation that he don't because Derek Carr was afraid he lost his job. Um, So if Derek Carr had stayed out, like the doctor said, Mariota would have played. They probably wouldn't have run as much because he did hurt his groin a little bit, but he probably would have been fine. But yeah, dude is glass. He really is glass. I, I'm not refuting that. But like, what do I do? Do I knock him down and say like, hey, he's a C minus quarterback because he won't stay healthy? Like, I don't. But what it, when he does play, he's good. So it's tough. Yeah, it, it depends because the way you look at it, it's just, you know, how good are they when they're on the field? Yeah. If you're looking at it as like, how many wins does this quarterback give you? Yeah. And then you drop him down because, yeah. you know, he's only going to be on the field for half the season. This is actually an excellent point is like my quarterback grades are it's not a Madden grade because football is not Madden, but it's kind of like a similar idea in that it's like it's a plug and play like this is what this guy's worth when he's in the game. And I don't do a lot of season long betting like I famously don't like season win totals. I don't like playoff props, mostly just because I don't like wrapping my money up that long, like in the same I could put a thousand. I, I have one season win total bet this year. I have a thousand dollars on the Patriots to make or to win under nine and a half games. I love that bet. I think it's easy money. But here's the thing between now and February, I could turn that thousand dollars over like nine times and probably make a lot more money than I would with one bet. Like, and at the very least, it'll be more entertaining. So I don't love season long bets unless they're just a fucking lock. But anyway. Back to Mariota. Shall I go through some rate metrics just to like support my argument that he's really fucking good before we get into yeah. like his actual game style? Okay. Like I said, accuracy is one of the things he's best at. He was accurate on 76% of his aimed passes. Uh, for reference, so 75.98. For reference, you could go to a guy like uh, 
let's do Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is currently at about 73. So like more accurate than Aaron Rodgers in these eight games that I graded of Mariota. Small sample size, scattered sample size, but that's fucking killer, right? And these are games that got him benched. So like probably not his best ball. Positive play rate, 35.6%. The average is 25. So he's producing, it's, he's not dinking and dunking. Like he's thrown downfield and it's good. It's usually dropped because Corey Davis used to just not know how to catch, which is always what you want from your possession receivers. But he throws downfield really well. In fact, his deep ball is one of his best assets. Um, as as kind of jibes with his reputation coming out of Oregon, he avoids negative plays. On average, the quarterbacks I've graded have a negative play 29% of the time. He's a 27. And his median game grade is a B. Like most of the time when he plays, it's going to be a B. Median and motor both B, average is B minus. Yeah, he also avoids turnovers really well. Uh, he's cleaned up some of those fumbling issues that really plagued him at Oregon. He fumbles at a literally average rate. I don't know what there's not to like other than constant injuries and getting stuck in a terrible offense that nobody really wanted to watch because the Titans are kind of like the Cardinals and kind of like the Panthers and that nobody really considers them a like, NFL team. They're JV. The thing that I remember about Marcus Mariota, because I liked him a lot coming out of Oregon. I thought he was going to be incredible. And he's played well. But it seemed like he would have just like crippling decisions, almost like a little Kirk Cousins-ish, where he played pretty well all game, but it'd be like some critical drive at the end of the first half or, you know, a point to take the lead in the fourth quarter and he'd throw a pick or he'd panic and have one of his negative plays. So it seemed like, I don't know if it's he panics when it's clutch moments, like because I don't know if that's really a thing or if it's just when the defense was really locking down, he struggles to read it or whatever. But it, that's what I always remember. So first of all, that's totally accurate. Um, he did most of his turnover worthy plays came in unclutch moments. So like the anti-clutch. Um, and second of all, I think that it, you know, it's one of those age old arguments. Like I personally think that clutchness exists to an extent. It's probably overrated to some extent. Like mostly you are the football player you are. But like, you know, you and I have played sports and we've played in high leverage situations and low leverage situations. It's a little different. Some people rise to the occasion. Some people panic. Like, I think it's a thing. I don't know how much of a thing. Um, I think that what it really boils down to is just that they threw the ball so seldom and they threw the ball like they ran such an anti-pass attack that it kind of it kind of magnified the mistakes. Right. I see what you're saying. Like you expect every quarterback that's starting in the NFL to make a certain amount of good throws per game. Right. And you expect a certain amount of like plays that just are whatever. But the whatever plays all of a sudden, like an incomplete pass on third and 10. It's his first pass in the drive. But that's crippling because, oh, my God, it's a third and 10 incompletion. You know, like it's a lot of like what we saw uh, with Baker at times last year. And if you watch the Buccaneers at all, it's the same reason that it's so frustrating the Buccaneers run halfback dive every first down. Like, or at least they really did their Super Bowl year. They got away from it a little bit in 2021. But it's just when you when you pass the ball less often, every mistake counts more. And so it might be the same amount of mistakes. It might even be a lower rate of mistakes, but they count so much more. Yeah, I see what you're saying. They, uh, Yeah, when you only see them throwing 16 times, you remember those really bad plays a lot more. Or like, and this, this is a little bit of foreshadowing, but like week one last year, Cleveland Browns playing the Kansas City Chiefs. Browns are blowing them out at halftime. So the Browns just run the ball and try to churn clock all second half. All of a sudden, the Chiefs come back it, and the Browns have one drive to take the lead back and ice the game. 
it's the first time they've passed in two and a half quarters. So an interception there looks crushing. It's terrible, but really it's a tiny fucking piece of a much larger game. And you're in a very disadvantageous situation. Like these things happen. Yeah, that's uh, a good comparable. And, you know, be, again, being a former Bears fan, we saw the shit with Lovey Smith all the goddamn time. You take your foot off the gas when you get a lead and then, oh no, we can't get back into it when it's like the fourth quarter and we need one pass to win the game. It doesn't work like that. It's a rhythm. It's a rhythm operation. But yeah, so there's nothing Mariota can't do. He's really fast. He's pretty good in the open field, throws the ball with good, almost great velocity, and he's accurate. It's like really accurate. His processing, I'm not sure about because there's no way to gauge his processing in a Mike Malarkey offense, but it looked good at Oregon and it looked really good in the Raiders system, which is basically a Shanahan system. So I'm very bullish on what he can do with the Falcons if he's healthy. And frankly, as we discussed on the last podcast, like, yeah, Derek Carr's a top 10 quarterback and Ryan Daniels a top 10 quarterback. But like, are you super stoked about that? Like, they feel like they feel like the bubble's going to burst. Whereas with Mariota, I feel like he can only get better and he's still in his mid-20s. He's like 27. Yeah, I think the, the main issue goes back to the availability part for like yeah. if you're running a franchise. Because not that Tannehill and Derek Carr are Iron Men, but... Well, compared to Mariota... They are, yeah. Compared to Mariota, everybody's an Iron Man. Nobody gets hurt more than him, and I totally recognize that. But if you just watch him play football, and like, oh, people are going to be like, oh, he got benched for Ryan Tannehill. Oh, yeah, he got benched for a dude who was a top five quarterback that year and the next year. I'm really not worried. I think that's okay. Like, let's yeah, not forget. I'm nowhere near as I'm not as high on him as you are, simply because I think, like, even though it, you were talking about the lack of throws increasing the feeling of how bad the negative ones are, even though I agree with you on that. I still think it's the part of his game. And even if you throw more with him, that might just be who he is because we saw it a lot at Tennessee. And because of the injuries, I do like, I have to factor that in as like part of who he is. I understand it's like not really how this grading system works, but it's just so important when you're considering him as a quarterback. I will say I'm really interested to see him play in Atlanta where he'll have some, you know, big, easy targets in Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Not necessarily the most versatile guys, not that they're one trick ponies, but he's going to have some guys that should be easier completions. And Arthur Smith, he's familiar with. Yeah, well, that's honestly my biggest fear is that Arthur Smith is the closest you can get to Mike Malarkey without being Mike Malarkey. And so like, watch Marcus Mariota throw the ball 10 times a game this year. Like, watch it happen. That would crush my soul. I mean, I think it's more likely they do that than they throw 35 times a game. Oh, absolutely. No, it's, I mean, like, fuck Arthur Smith. All my homies hate Arthur Smith. But Arthur Smith lost me just as much money as Mike Vrabel's lost me in the last five years. So, what well, are you yeah, going to do? That's why it's your two, the two no-no teams in the Atlanta Falcons and the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on? Yes, please. At number seven, who do we got? Number seven's a little more conventional. We got, well, actually, I might get hate for this being too low. Yeah, you will. Okay. So I got Josh Allen, number seven. The most fun quarterback to watch, and for my money, the single most physically gifted quarterback of all time. Yeah, I don't disagree with either of the things you said. He is absolutely electric to watch play, especially as a guy that doesn't have, like, any skin in the game watching him play. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's probably my favorite quarterback. Yeah, I, like, nothing's off the table. Never anything, like, 
Josh Allen could legitimately be a big slot wide receiver or a legitimate receiving tight end. He's that kind of runner. He's that kind of size. He's really powerful as a runner and he's got solid speed. Um, he honestly, as a runner, he's, he's Cam Newton. Like that feels like high praise, but then you watch Josh Allen run and you're like, eh, I don't think anybody could stop him. You get that same feeling of inevitability when he rolls out of the pocket. Um, Josh Allen's a lot like Cam Newton as a passer and that he's got a cannon. Like I said, it's the strongest arm. Like the way I can tell somebody has an A plus arm is if it looks like Josh Allen and it almost never does. So like you get a couple yeah, dudes every he, year. He's definitely the gold standard for arm power. Yeah. So like when people are like, how does this dude have a B plus arm? Like how does Joe Burrow have a C plus arm? It's like, well, look at where Joe Burrow is and look where Josh Allen is. Josh Allen's the top. I got to grade everything against the top, right? It's a curve. It's, all, it's a bell curve. That's how it works. So Josh Allen is just physically perfect. <laughs> He's the best in every way. Uh, he looks Don't great in shorts. Much. He looks great in shorts. Well, here's the part where we stop drooling. There's a way to stop him. It's just not very accurate. Yeah, like, I know it's a lot better than it was. It's not great. So I is recently this a did a precision thing or an accuracy thing. It's a little bit of both. Um, and I know that that's the lawyerly answer. That's no fun, but it, it's bad in both ways. I mean, not bad. Again, this is seventh best quarterback. This guy can carry an average team to the Super Bowl. God damn it. Like he's really good. But his accuracy is good unless he's throwing short and then it gets not good. It's really he's just I don't know what it is. It's uh, it's kind of like a fastball pitcher trying to throw to first base. Like something just doesn't quite work. And he's more accurate throwing 13 yards down the field than he is a swing pass. Um, as far as precision goes, it's not there. There are throws where he will just fucking miss for no goddamn reason. And then there'll be other times where he zings a ball in there like Jay Cutler fucking, you know, in between. Okay, there's actually one play. And this is always like my hypothetical. People are like, what's an elite throw? I'm like, well, it depends. It's all context based, right? It might be a 40 yard bomb down the sideline in stride. It could be a 15, 20 yard pass into triple coverage that's right on a dot and only the receiver can get it. Uh, I'd never seen that when I was doing my breakdown for Josh Allen. Check it out on the Patreon for free. I found one. The Patreon is free. The Patreon. Free Patreon. Free. It's a free pay. It's in the title, Money Where the Film Is, free. There is no payment required for this Patreon. So please save your fucking insults where you said nobody paying for that. No, I hope they fucking don't. If they can figure out how to pay for that, it's probably not going to me because I don't charge for it. Um, yeah, there's a play where Josh Allen rolls left and without getting his feet set, throws a 21 yard curl, a 21 yard curl while rolling left in triple coverage on the hands for a first down on third down, like third and 20. And he hits a 21 yard. It was, it was fucking amazing. Yeah. He's like the king of him and Mahomes are the kings of not dead yet. Yeah. But whereas Mahomes will often, again, foreshadow, whereas Mahomes will make a crazy play and it's like, no, 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 no. Yes. It looks like no, no, no. When Josh Allen does it, it usually looks like, uh, you know, from a defensive perspective, oh, fuck, this doesn't look normal and we are in trouble. Because Mahomes puts a little bit more arc on balls, so they look scarier from a broadcast. Like, you know, on the All-22, you can see where it's going and it's not as scary. But from like the broadcast angle, you're like, that ball is floating and it's in the middle of the field. What the fuck? Whereas with Josh Allen, everything's a gun, uh, which is really nice unless you have the thumbs and fingers of the receivers. But then he'll also have passes where it's a 10-yard curl and Josh Allen puts it six feet over the receiver's head for no fucking reason. No pressure, no strategic reason to throw it away. Just bad. And that's that's the Josh Allen quandary. All this talk of, you know, fixing his mechanics and fixing his accuracy. He was still only accurate on 70% of his aim passes, which is significantly below average. 
Like it's in the bottom third. Like it's just slightly more accurate than Daniel Jones, who is not the gold standard. Yeah, it's not someone you necessarily want to be in the same company with regarding accuracy. Yeah, and and like for as much arm talent as Josh Allen has, curiously, uh, his his explosive plays they're good, they're above average, but they're not. They don't wow you. Like he had Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Matt Stafford all outclassed him when it came to elite throws, and they all beat him when it came to great throws. Baker Mayfield had more great throws than as a percent. It's just that one, he's pretty good at all those things. And two, his fucking legs. <laughs> For my money, he's he's the best running quarterback in the NFL. I, he's better than Lamar. Fuck it. I believe that ardently. Really? That's uh, that's high praise. Because there's a lot you can say about Lamar as a quarterback, but as a runner, like he's one of the best in the league, regardless of position. Oh, absolutely. Um, the, 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 the difference is like, so Lamar is super fucking fast, right? And he's slippery. But if you catch him and defensive backs can, you could tackle him. If you catch Josh Allen, which mostly only defensive backs can, like linebackers really can't catch him except the good, like really good one. But then defensive backs can't tackle him because he's a tight end. He, he's like Gronk out there, like young Gronk running around. And, you know, he's all his running is also bolstered by the fact that he's like a legitimately very good thrower. So maybe he gets a little advantage there. But dude, Josh Allen's a fucking treat. And while you all this being said, I think he can be stopped if you run too high, like everybody did to Mahomes last year. And they're going to start doing it to Allen. You run too high. You make him beat you with the safe throws, the checkdowns, the consistency, et cetera. And I don't think he can do it. And I think we saw that every time he played a decent or above average defense, uh, you know, when he played the Bucks last year, when he played the Patriots, uh, the, the second time, not in the playoffs, that was a debacle for New England. Uh, and the first time the wind, it doesn't really count, but good teams with like solid defenses that'll make him play honest and not just go for the big ones, they can hold him in, in check. Do you think you're going to see the similar a similar level of struggle that Mahomes had last year? No, because I think that when push comes to shove, if everything is going wrong around him, Josh Allen can just run to an extent that even Patrick Mahomes cannot. Like you could make him a Cam Newton wingback style quarterback and be successful. This is an interesting thing that I was thinking about for their offense is we talk about how good Brian Dable was and how big a part he had in increasing Josh Allen's accuracy. But what if the new offense coordinator, who is it? Ken Dorsey. Yeah, who's a good offensive coordinator. He's renowned for like, I mean, we don't know. We've never seen him call plays, but like people like it. Right. What if they just really lean into Josh Allen's legs? They like, do you think that takes them to another level on the offense? Or do you think they lose just as much by not having the same number of opportunities for explosive throws? It totally depends on where it comes from. Like if you're getting rid of a couple halfback dives to make it into a quarterback draw sweep. Awesome. If you're getting rid of a couple of like shitty screens or like a couple of, uh, you know, sticks plays. So like short curls. Awesome. If you're getting rid of your deep shots, I don't like that. You know, like there are ways to implement more runs that I would have really liked to see out of Dable last year, but it certainly cannot come at the cost of the downfield shots because that's where Allen makes his hay. That's fair. I just think you. the only worry you have with that is using him too much and exposing him to that many more hits. And yeah. even though he is huge and an athletic marvel, Cam Newton completely broke down before he was 30 because yeah. of his style running a lot. So I feel I like think they it's... might try and avoid it, but it's an interesting thing. They could lean into it. I think Cam Newton broke down because he was vegan. It had nothing to do with usage. Well, that is... <laughs> 
I'm fucking around. Not the type of science I do. <laughs> I was going to say, I just fucking got done on a rant about how I'm not a fucking doctor, so I'm not going to judge injuries, but I can totally, I'm a dietitian, evidently. Well, you do eat like exclusively steak, so I figured you might have some sort of red meat superiority going on and would let it go. It's, uh, I have mild red meat superiority, like, you know, whispers behind closed doors things. I don't have like a red meat flag hanging out on my porch. <laughs> All right. Can we, can uh, we keep that in. <laughs> I I think you 100% should. I I enjoyed that. I thought that was tastefully done. All right. Um anything else to say about Josh Allen? No, I mean like I you heard the way I speak of him. I thought it was pretty glowing and this is the guy that I when he came out of college, I had him at a 1.7 grade, which is the same as Drew Locke and Trey Lance. Guys I think suck. So like he's come a long way and he's already proven me wrong. I think that Josh Allen's a good quarterback and that the seventh grade, like the seventh quarterback grade is complimentary of him. But yeah, I guess people are probably going to rip on me for not having him like top three. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely an argument to have him higher because of how electric he is and how they're at any point he can score a touchdown one way or another. And he has improved pretty much every single year. He's gotten better accuracy wise. Yeah. And he has all the intangibles you want of apparently he's really smart and a great leader and everything you would want from your quarterback position. He's a good so interview on part of my take. Yeah. And that's all you need to know. Right. So I think he's set up really well to continue improving. And I would not be shocked if he took over even like that top spot as Stafford and Brady and the other top guys that we're going to talk about continue to age. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the accuracy thing still does need to get. Better. Yeah. And I like and the precision. And and you know what? It's not footwork. People say that it's his footwork got fixed. His footwork is still absolute shit. And yeah, sometimes he has bad footwork and it leads to bad throws, but sometimes he has bad footwork and it doesn't fucking matter. And like, you know, we talked in the last podcast about how footwork isn't that big a deal, or at least I don't think it is. But like footwork is the least of a deal for Josh Allen because he does not need his core or his legs to throw hard. Like his arm is plenty. So to the extent that footwork matters, I think that he makes it matter less than basically anybody else. And his footwork is still not good. And it wasn't very good in 2020. Maybe it was better, but like his accuracy improving is not that tied to his footwork. Uh, Maybe it's mentally tied. Maybe he thinks it's tied to his footwork. And when he feels good about his footwork, he's more accurate, more confident, whatever. I don't know. But his legs are still all over the place. Ball's just going where he wants it to. Um, Maybe if he tightened that up, his accuracy would go up from 70% to something more like 75 where the rest of the really good quarterbacks are sitting. But for now, we can only go off what he's shown us. Fair enough. All right. You ready to move on to number six? The quarterback number six is going to be Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, compared to Allen, if you keep it relative, people are going to think that's pretty normal, right? Um, Yeah, I think uh, Mahomes right before Allen is not too far-fetched. Them at six and seven, probably get a couple people riled up. So Patrick Mahomes, a great quarterback, yada, yada, yada. Last year, Patrick Mahomes kind of stunk. And I know that everybody was aware of his early season struggles, adjusting to everybody playing too high. Basically, teams just realized that like, hey, you're not going to throw deep on us. Like we just can't let Tyreek Hill beat us deep, deep, deep downfield. 
and we'll we'll live with the pain of Patrick Mahomes completing 80% of his passes. Well, he didn't. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was not good last year, and he had a lot of really bad games. Uh, the most easy to remember one is probably the Bengals game in the AFC Championship where Patrick Mahomes put up one of the smelliest games I've ever seen in the second half. Let us not forget that the real reason that the Bengals were in the Super Bowl is because Patrick Mahomes threw three interceptable balls on three passes in overtime to fail his team. Yeah, that game was wild because he was elite in the first half. Oh, and then oh, he in was... the second half in overtime, he just absolutely shit down his pants. Yeah, no, um, I've actually got stats on it. And in the first half, remember how I spoke earlier about how Marcus Mariota had like one of the best games ever at a plus 19 in a full game? Well, in the first half of the AFC Championship, Mahomes is at a plus 14. He was accurate on 91% of his passes, 37.5% positive plays, only 8% negative plays. The dude was wired in. The problem is that in the second half, he was a negative 12 which is historically bad. Um, And that's kind of the story of Patrick Mahomes' season. It was a perfect microcosm um, because Mahomes was a lot of really bad and then a lot of good. Um, So like Patrick Mahomes is a lot of people like typically consider him a top three quarterback. A lot of people still consider him the best quarterback. The best quarterback usually doesn't have three F's and three D's in one season. And I've only graded 16 of his games. So depending on how he played against Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and whoever they played week six, that could get worse. Yeah, I remember in a lot of those happened like kind of back to back to back Mm -hmm. in what is it? Week five through 10. Yeah. Week five against Buffalo. Terrible. Week seven against Tennessee. Terrible. Week, I want to say nine against the Giants. Terrible. And then week 10 against the Raiders. Really bad. So honestly, he had three A games all season. Per my estimation, week 17 against Cincinnati, where ironically enough, they had a second half breakdown and blew a lead there. Uh, The wild card game against Pittsburgh, which is a decent opponent. And then the game against Buffalo in the divisional round that everybody remembers. Mahomes just lights out easily his best game, but also his only A plus. And when we're this high on the list, we expect typically a high incidence rate of A plus. Like, for instance, Justin Herbert, I've only graded... uh, I think 12 of his games. I've only graded 11 Justin Herbert games and three of them were A pluses. That's a little bit more typical of a top five, you know, quasi elite quarterback. So Mahomes had a really rough season. Uh, He was about league average in accuracy, positive play rate and slugging score. He was pretty decent at limiting the negative plays, but everything was checkdowns. It was a super easy offense to operate because of that too high. Everything was short, right? Like, and that's, that's correct. When people are playing too high on you, throw the screen, throw the quick curls, throw the quick slants, RPOs, get it out of your hand. Defense gives you. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when you throw 28, uh, when you throw, sorry, 20 pickable balls and have 28 turnover-worthy plays, that's not good. Uh, it's a little bit of what I noticed watching Daniel Jones and something we talked about a little bit with uh, Ryan Tannehill the other day is just you can live – or sorry, we talked about it with Wentz the other day. You can live with uh, the disastrous plays when you're getting high returns, you know, high risk, high reward. But when people are playing too high on you, you can't have turnover-worthy plays because they will cripple you because you're not going to be able to get it all back in one big chunk like Mahomes is so used to. And it's not even that his play was significantly different this past year from how it was prior years, so much as just people figured him out and made him play to his own weaknesses. Now, Andy Reid's a genius. Tyree Kill is still elite. Travis Kelsey is borderline elite, probably still elite. 
he's probably like my second or third best tight end now instead of being the clear-cut best ever, which he was a few years ago, in my opinion. So like he's regressed to being really, really um all you gotta do. The only way for Mahomes to be beaten with that kind of cast and you know scenario is for Mahomes to beat himself. And people realize that if you make him throw short, he will. He will beat himself. He's still got a cannon of an arm. He's still really creative in the pocket. Yes, he eats a lot of sacks that he shouldn't. Yes, a lot of his movement is unnecessary and he creates problems for himself in doing so, but he's really good. He's got a lot of talent. He just, people found his kryptonite and it's up to him to adjust. He couldn't last year. I think he will a little bit more this year and he's still how a do you think he's? How do you think he's going to fare with no Tyreek Hill this year? So I think Tyreek Hill's the best wide receiver in football because nobody on earth can cover him. No, like, like literally just nobody can run with him. So there's nothing you can do. Um, whereas like, you know, Devontae Adams, like theoretically a good corner could not get fooled by his double move and run with him, right? Like, but there's just nobody on earth who can run with Tyreek Hill. Uh, so I think that makes him the most unstoppable, the most explosive, yada, yada, yada. We saw what happens when you throw him a 10-yard pass against Buffalo. He could take that shit 50 more yards. Any play. That said, I think the Chiefs are going to be fine without him. I think that they've added depth of explosiveness and good wide receivers to make up for the fact that they lost their big guys. So like Marquez Valdez-Scantling is going to run the deep routes and that'll one of Tyreek or that'll make up for one of Tyreek Hill's facets that's leaving. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster is not nearly the man that his name suggests he is, but he's a good, reliable slot option. That'll kind of make up for some of Tyreek Hill's underneath of uh, assets, if you will. And I expect Nicole Hardman to run a lot of the gadget plays that Tyreek Hill used to run. I think that they'll make up for it in total. Also, Sky Moore. I like Sky Moore. Sky Moore is a lot like yeah, Golden Tate. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, he's he's pretty fast. Like he's got DJ Moore style athleticism, but also like really good hands. And he's just built like a bowling ball a la Golden Tate. Imagine if Golden Tate wasn't uh, getting caught in bed with his quarterback's wife. That's what I think we might have here. So um, I think Patrick Mahomes will be in a perfectly acceptable scenario to have great, great fucking success because let's not forget his coach is still the best in NFL history for my money. Uh, I didn't watch Bill Walsh, so I don't know about that. NFL history ends in like 1995 for me. Um, anyhow. He is undoubtedly up there, especially as a pure offensive mind. Yeah. You're not going to get many arguments about being the best of the last 25, 30. Especially now that defense matters so much less than it ever has before. Like the game just keeps on moving towards Andy Reid and he keeps on being Andy Reid. Um, like talk about a guy who has more than just a fastball. This year, we're going to find out if Patrick Mahomes has anything but a fastball because last year, everybody was hitting his fastball, playing too high, stopping the deep shots. And he looked like, frankly, if last year was the only year of Patrick Mahomes I'd ever seen, I would have him as a B minus quarterback. I'd have him as like a 2.3, 2.4 type of guy because his performance was a 1.7. Like median game score was a uh, C minus. Average game score, C minus. His most, his mode, his most frequent game was an F. So like last year, he sucked point blank with flashes of brilliance. But we've seen obviously a lot more than last year. His physical traits are awesome. Second strongest arm in the league for my money. Super creative, good mobility, fairly accurate, if not super precise. Another guy whose footwork is just a fucking disaster, but it doesn't matter. I think that he'll probably perform better next year than he did last year, but I've always thought that Patrick Mahomes is a little overrated. So I think he'll probably sit around seven. Yeah, I think especially as the year went on and Andy Reid started to help that offense adjust, he did play better. 
you know, a lot of those negative grades are from the first half of the season and especially that kind of torrid stretch we talked about. So he did start to figure it out and settle into the less aggressive uh, version of himself and got better in that. So I think as he kind of like comes to terms with how he has to play, he'll continue to improve. But he is, yeah, I mean, this is about where he's going to sit. He's incredibly good. He's that same mold as Josh Allen, where he's one of the most fun players to watch, especially when you don't have skin in the game, because at any moment he can score a touchdown and no play is dead when he's on the field. Sometimes it results in some stupid stuff, but a lot of the time it's really electric. Yeah. So like, again, I'm probably going to get shit because this is a little too low for a lot of people's tastes, but Patrick Mahomes is a really good quarterback, even if last year he didn't play like it. Like, it's in there. And frankly, frankly, if he can start hitting that, I think that having a larger array of receiving options rather than just a a higher concentration, so like replacing the best receiver in football with many good receivers, I think it might help him because it'll make his underneath options more apparent and he won't be focusing as much on his favorite guy. Or at least, you know, you would hope he could take his eyes off Kelsey. But being able to spread the ball out more, being able to threaten defenses more on the short routes, it might make it easier for him to take advantage of that cover too, spread the defense out a little bit more, suck them in a little bit more, and then you can go back deep to guys like MVS and Miko Hardman, and he might be able to get that big play facet of his game back, uh, which would make him maybe a little higher than seven. But again, I always thought he's a little overrated. Like even in his MVP season, like a lot of that's having the best tight end and the best receiver and the best coach and a, and a killer arm, but like not necessarily an accurate arm at all. Yeah. Another thing that could change with Tyreek being gone that could help is that defenses will play closer to the line of scrimmage because they're not going to have it in their head of, oh my God, Tyreek Hill could burn us at any point. Like, yeah, yeah MBS is still going to make teams respect that respect perception field, but yeah. nowhere near the same level that Tyreek killed. Exactly. Perception is reality and getting beat by MVS is much more palatable than getting beat by Tyreek Hill. Because if you get beat by Tyreek Hill, you're a fucking idiot. Why aren't you playing off? If you get beat by MVS, it's like, well, you didn't expect that guy to roast you, even though you should. Exactly. But I think that's it for Mahomes. Let's move on to number five. Who do we got? I'm glad we talked about MVS so much because he'll be the link that gets us from number six, Patrick Mahomes, to number five, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, another another blasphemous take. How dare I besmirch the consecutive MVP winner, which is fucking putrid to say. And you've got a really good theory on that that I want you to get to at some point. But first, I'm just going to give the layout of my rationale. Over the last two seasons, no quarterback has, has done more pedestrian quarterbacking than Aaron Rodgers, period. Um, uh, like two years ago, everybody was talking about how Baker Mayfield ran the Shanahan offense, which is all just like dinks and dunks and super easy passes. And that's why his stats looked really good in 2020, right? Well, I, I, I did the breakdown of, I didn't write articles or do podcasts, but I did a breakdown and I, I told you, I sent you the screenshots. I was like, dude, Aaron Rodgers had the season that people thought Baker Mayfield had. Like it was all pedestrian plays and he's good at it. And there is something to be said about constantly hitting the short plays. And, and his constant, release is so quick. Super quick release, accurate, precise as fuck, always hitting those short throws. Like, it's it's really, it's impressive how consistently accurate he is on those short, easier plays. And it's, it's a testament to his processing that he's always finding that easy route, finding your hot route, figuring out your read pre-snap. 
reading defenses. It's all really good. But last year, Aaron Rodgers, 46.2% of his dropbacks ended in a pedestrian pass, which is an accurate pass, but an easy one. That is the highest of any quarterback that I have graded, and I've graded substantially all of them. Highest of any quarterback I've graded by multiple percentage points. The second highest being 43% Davis Mills. So the dude is the king of the check down. And nobody really realizes it because in part, uh, you know, he used, he was the Mahomes before Mahomes, right? Like people used to talk about how he had all the physical talents. He was electric and creative. And he's certainly gotten away from that, uh, which is helpful because Matt LaFleur runs a great offense, but also not necessarily the hardest way to play football. Um, yeah, I think it's a credit to both him and LaFleur that they've found a way to like both buy into each other so well. Because initially it was a little rocky, yeah. but they figured it out. And that offense hums. Like Rodgers, he does the little stuff and completes all those short passes. He gets the ball into his receiver's hands really quickly. And LaFleur sets him up with a lot of open looks and easy completion. Matt LaFleur is really, really good at developing... So it's actually kind of interesting because he more than anybody in the Shanahan system does a really good job of not only, how do I say this? So the zone blocking system, the reason that the Shanahan run game works so well is because you basically just get all of the linemen moving in a direction. And then it's kind of like, for lack of better imagery, it's kind of like the flying V in the Mighty Ducks movies, where it's just like, we got a lot of bodies coming at the defense in a wall. And it's hard to get through them, and the running back's going to take advantage, sift through, and turn every handoff into a kick return, right? And what Matt LaFleur does that makes his passing game so creative is that he basically turns his passing game into a zone running game. They do a lot of rollouts. They do a lot of misdirection where they'll have a flood of their receivers going one way, and then one receiver sneaking off to that backside. You get the ball to him, and all of a sudden, you got a wall of receivers blocking, and your offensive lineman knew that that was the first read so they're getting downfield as soon as they can it's brilliant i love watching it for the schematic impact but it also doesn't take a lot of talent as a quarterback to run that offense uh which is partially why it's so disgusting that jordan love can't manage to do it but we expected this from jordan love he's one of the lowest graded quarterback prospects i've ever graded um now the caveat is so like given what we've described here, you would expect Aaron Rodgers to have a very high accuracy percentage, a fairly low positive play percentage, but also a very low negative play percentage, a high cheat play percentage, and just really safe with the ball, no turnovers, right? Yeah, total game manager stuff. Which again, a perfect game manager should be like a C plus, like Trent Dilfer, Andy Dalton, Dak Prescott. We call it dacking for a reason. Well, it doesn't really match up. In fact, Aaron Rodgers had one of the lesser turnover rates amongst quarterbacks that I've graded. Now, I've only done 12 games of Rodgers, so yes, I have five to go. But he threw a, like his pickable ball rate was 3%. Average is 3%. So it's not like he's saving you there. He's not reducing the turnover worthy throws. Additionally, he fumbles 1% of the time. 1% of his dropbacks ended a fumble, which is exactly the league average. So he is perfectly league average at protecting the ball. And in such a conservative offense, you would really not expect that, right? Additionally, his accuracy percentage isn't that high. It's 72.86, which is literally league average. League average is 72.1. He beats league average by less than half a percent. And his negative play rate is 28.61, which is 
just about league average. League average is 29%. So it's not that he's bad in any of these categories. It's that he's not, you're not reaping the rewards that you would assume you would from running this kind of offense that limits mistakes. The mistakes are coming at exactly the same rate as you should expect from any starting quarterback in the entire NFL. And that includes dudes like Daniel Jones and Carson Wentz. However, you're not getting the upside because his his positive play rate is 19.9, one of the lowest in the entire league. His cheap play percentage is incredibly high. He throws the ball away more than anybody else in the league by a wide margin. Like you're not, he's not hindering, certainly, but he's not helping you much. And he's not even protecting you as much as you would think. And, and frankly, I think that a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL would perform similarly in that offense with that receiving core, which was very underrated last year. This year, a little bit more of a question. Last 2021, very complete receiving core with a great run game and awesome offensive line. Like, so it sounds like you did kind of a lot of shitting on him. Why is he all the way up at five ahead of Mahomes and Allen if he is just kind of like barely above average in almost all the metrics? So the thing about Rodgers is that he does have incredible touch on his deep ball still, and he's still got significant arm talent, like really good A-minus arm strength, can throw from any platform, really creative, really understands the game. Like he plays the NFL like we would play Matt, where you see all the little shortcuts and everything, and it's great. But one, he throws the ball away for no fucking reason all the time. Two, he does one of two things. He's always either taking like the most dinky check down that helps nobody or throwing a deep ball indiscriminately. And sometimes those deep balls are really good because he's one of the better deep ball throwers in the league. I gave him B plus deep, uh, deep ball accuracy, maybe a minus. It's really, it's really good, but he hits like 40 to 50% of those deep balls. And a lot of the time they, they shouldn't have been fucking thrown. Like he has dudes open. He just wants to do something cooler or bigger. And it's just this weird bipolar combination of way too fucking conservative, doesn't help your team at all. And then way too aggressive doing everything for the grant. And, he needs and some Josh Rosen in his life. He needs some intermediate. He he needs something. I the frustrating thing is that when you watch Aaron Rodgers, even me, a cynic, I can see like, yeah, he's still got every tool in his bag. And when he puts it together, people are right. It's hard to, when you watch Aaron Rodgers in rhythm, like on his bullshit, it's legitimately hard to imagine stopping. Him. You, like I, you don't know how he can yeah. do everything. It's just the, the fact of the matter is he doesn't and he never has. And it's been almost 20 years. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always appreciated that, uh, I've kind of figured him out a little bit and I have to give a lot of credit to you of I or especially when I got to college, it's kind of in the same boat of when you watch Rogers play, most of the time it's really pretty. And especially if you catch him on one of his on times, it is like this guy can't be stopped. He's, he sees the field incredibly well. He's got a lightning quick release. He can move and create a lot of extra space and time for himself. And he does have just like an incredibly effortless arm. And it seems like he can put it a lot of places with just like, and it's just slinging it out there and they drop in perfectly. But it was kind of always like, but why aren't they better? <laughs> like, why don't they win more games or beat good teams more often? And it was 
probably the more I hung out with you and got to talk football with you that you, you showed me that it's just like not consistent and that he's consistently a good quarterback, but it's not consistent in the way he goes about it. Like you're talking about the short stuff first, the deep stuff, but not really finding any middle ground. And I think it's why like they've struggled a little bit is he gets a little bit this way or that way and gets locked in to dinks or deep balls and it hurts him. Yeah. He's also, he's got, I mean, like you, you're going to be shocked to hear this, but uh, Aaron Rodgers on the football field, a little fucking arrogant. He tries to fit balls in there where they probably shouldn't go. He tries to take shots. He probably shouldn't take, and he will hone in on his guy, his read pre-snap. He'll hone in on him a little bit more than he should sometimes. And he isn't quite like Stafford in his ability to force a ball. Um, I guess that's foreshadowing because we haven't gotten to Stafford yet. But Matt Stafford's the greatest quarterback of all time when it comes to forcing a ball to a receiver, regardless of if they're open or not. Aaron Rodgers forces the ball almost as often as Stafford, just he's not as good at it, which... Again, I'm not certain it's a good trait to have even like I'm not even sure I want a quarterback that can force a ball. But if you're going to try it, you might as well be good at it. Um, I think Rodgers is good at that. He is. He's good. He's just he's not, not as he's good. He's not. Yeah. He's not like the top of the top. But that's something that always sticks out to me that like he can create openings. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. Aaron Rodgers is very good at forcing the ball. We're comparing him to what I consider the greatest at forcing the ball of all time. But it's important to remember that forcing the ball is generally a bad thing, especially in an offense like the Packers, where there are so many open wide receivers on every play. So many of Rodgers' plays, I just finished this morning grading the last few games of his season that I hadn't already looked at. So many of his plays are him running around doing something cute and throwing a ball to Devontae Adams when his first read was wide open at the sticks on third down. Like, it's a little bit Mahomesian in that he makes shit so much harder on himself. And yeah, it looks cool when he does it. And yes, it's also easy not to blame him when he fucks up because like, oh, look, he was running left and he had to throw right and it was high arcing and he was covered. It's like, yeah, but he could have just thrown the curl from the pocket and it would have been the same result efficiency wise. Like, yeah, I the, I think the Mahomes comparison is so perfect. I know we, we've made it before. Other people have made it before. It's not new, but he definitely like he was the OG Mahomes type player in the last 25 years where he does have that incredible ability to move around and make a throw from anywhere going the wrong way. Like how many times we've seen him moving towards the right sideline and throw across his body to the left side, like it works out. And so it's a little bit of the frustrating and this is where I struggle to grade him and Mahomes a little bit too, because there are plays where you go, that's a bad play. Like they shouldn't mm-hmm. have done that, but it still works. And, you know, early on in the guy's career, I can always go, okay, well, that's, that, that's going to calm down. Like that's, they're going to come back to earth. They're not going to get so lucky all the time, but with Mahomes and especially Rogers, where we have 15 years of it or however long he's been playing now where it just keeps working. And like, so I, I don't know. It's like, that's a bad play, but it works for him. And so for him, it's kind of a good play. And that's like the, the duality of him of there are things where I think he's stupid but it clicks and i mean it's exactly what you're talking yeah and i think that in certain offenses and with certain receivers i'll give you a little bit more leeway but like Devonte adams as good as he is he's not a jump ball receiver like that's never been his game he's more of a crafty route runner than anything and i'll give her aaron Rodgers credit because he turned what i think is a pretty good wide receiver in Devonte adams like a good wide receiver into somebody that people talk about as an all all pro 
you know, best in the league type of guy. And I think LaFleur deserves some credit for that. I think Rodgers deserves credit for that. And I think that Adams is, you know, like I said, he's good in his own right. But when he's not, when Aaron Rodgers is not targeting his guy, Devontae Adams, his accuracy can sometimes be puzzlingly bad. Like I'm sharing my screen with Alex. So if, if it's too many numbers, I'm sorry, but like, just check out these accuracy percentages for a guy who's throwing as many checkdowns and as many schemed open passes as you would, as we know he is, you would expect way higher accuracy. And typically my grading system is biased against players who throw checkdowns like Mac Jones, like an Alex Smith. Like I don't give credit for that. So if you go 30 for 30 on your checkdowns, I see that as the same as going five for five on them. And that's probably a flaw in my system. But when you're hitting 73% of your passes, despite so many of them being of the checkdown variety, that's, there's no way to excuse that. Yeah. And I think that's some of the issue with Rogers. I mean, any of these guys that are kind of the can make any play happen is that we do see them miss a lot of the short and easy throws. And Rodgers, as that offense has moved to basically being checkdowns with occasional shots, I feel like that's where we just see it more of he does miss the little ones. And it's, you know, whether his form gets uh, sloppy or he just like lets it out of his hand weird or reads it wrong. Something happens on the short stuff. And we just see it now because he has so many short passes. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and one more thing that I think is important to note is that like we everybody agrees Matt LaFleur is a really good coach. There's a reason he's won 83% of the games he's head coached, right? And like turns out maybe his time in Tennessee, uh, the offense was a little bit hindered by Mike Vrabel, who we know is cancer, especially to offensive football. So if we look so you know, Rodgers has two years with LeFleur. He's obviously won MVP both times. He obviously didn't deserve to win MVP either time, in my estimation. I, I'm pretty sure you agree. Yeah, especially last year. We can talk about my theory right now if you want. This would be a perfect time for your theory because I think it's brilliant, and I'm glad it was your thought, not mine. So, yeah, it's always been that, like... Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. A lot of people thought for a while that he was the best quarterback in the league. Some people still think that. Of all time. Yeah. And he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's won a Super Bowl. But for the most part, you know, he hasn't won as much as you would expect a guy of his talent and ability to, especially with how good some of the teams he's been on. I was going to say Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Donald Driver, Greg Jennings, all at the same time. Like, dude has not been uh, starved for talent. Yeah. And they've had a lot of years of being really good they just couldn't get it done in playoff game and it feels like the mvps are kind of like consolation prizes almost of like we feel like he should have more awards and more to his pedigree than just being really good and having good stats and so the mvps come in like hey we got to recognize you somehow and you are still really good so let's give you some mvps yeah yeah and and i mean you got to remember the mvp is voted on by media members people who are obsessed with narrative and Aaron Rodgers for a long time was a great narrative. I mean, 2021, uh, his narrative, his uh, his gravitas in the narrative department took a little bit of a hit because of a couple of podcasts he might have done and a couple of uh, beliefs he may have shared. Um Safe to say that his appearance on the Pat McAfee podcast did not inoculate him from media criticism, but it appears to have inoculated him from actual consequences because he turned another okay season into an MVP award. Meanwhile, Tom Brady's just out here 
setting records and playing better than every other quarterback in the league by a wide margin deep into his 50s. Who gives a fuck, right? He's got trophies. Why give him another trophy? Yeah, and he's the opposite. Like, he's won all these championships and has all of the, the trophies that we feel like, okay, he's one of the best of all time, if not the best of all time, like we think he is. Yeah. But he has everything to back it up. It feels right. It feels just. He doesn't and then, need MVPs. And especially when you factor in that in the last two years, like who else was going to take it? They weren't great years for other quarterbacks. So like, are you going to give it to Mahomes? Well, he just got one and he played worse. So like, you can't give him another. And then like, are you going to give it to Josh Allen? Eh, he's young and like, you feel like he's ascending. So you'll, he'll get one soon. Don't worry. Uh, it, it was just kind of a perfect storm of, of uh, consolation. I, I love that theory. I really get behind it. And I'm glad that it was your thought. Because if I was the one who came up with it, it'd sound crazy. <laughs> it just sound like you hating on Rob again. Yeah. And like, dude, I, so yeah, I, I grew up a Bears fan, which means that nobody fears Aaron Rodgers like I do, man. Nobody's been hurt by him like I have. Like, I know what Aaron Rodgers can do to you. It's not like I'm bitter and I'm like, oh, he actually sucks. Like, if he sucks, the Bears were really bad for a decade because he did whatever he wanted with us. I'm not going to make the metaphor. Like, it, it was, if I didn't respect Aaron Rodgers' talent, I would either have to be crazy or really, really hate the Bears teams that I watched for a decade get destroyed by him. So my say, and again, I bet on the Packers as much, if not more than any other team I bet on, because I know that fear and pain. And I know that Green Bay will get the lucky bounce. Aaron Rodgers will figure something out. He is inevitable. So my underrating him, you know, my alleged underrating him is certainly not biased. If anything, it's the opposite of biased. I am probably biased towards him. So you've got two years with LeFleur and good production, very great critical acclaim. But the two or three years before that, Rodgers was not good. Like he was straight up an average quarterback for two or three years before this little renaissance towards the end. And yeah, I, think I remember because we were both excited that we thought he might be just like slipping off into the uh, into the retirement stage. Well, and I think he kind of fucking still has like he. Yeah, he's still got every tool in the bag and I'm still ranking him as the fifth best quarterback in the NFL. But if you look at it, he had four A games uh, week three against San Francisco. He was really good. Week five against Cincinnati, he was really good. Week 15 against Baltimore, who was torn to shreds by injuries, he was really good. And then week 17 against Minnesota, Minnesota benched half their defense, literally, because they had nothing to play for and the Packers had already clinched the playoffs. And he got an A-plus in a half a game worth of snaps. Other than that, very mediocre with occasional down spikes. He had two Fs and three Ds. His average grade on the entire season is a 2.11. And we all saw how he fucking whimpered out in the playoffs. I think that, see, here's the problem, is his backup is Jordan Love, who's abysmal and not even close to average. So we won't really get a good test because we don't have a proper variable. But God forbid Jordan Love got hurt and Aaron Rodgers retired or couldn't play for one week for some reason. Um, you can't be inoculated to everything. And they had to get a guy off the street. I would absolutely hammer the Packers in that particular game, just like I did with Jordan Love last year in relief of Aaron Rodgers, who I know sucks, but the different the delta between him and Rodgers is much smaller than people think because everybody knows Jordan Love sucks. Nobody knows that Aaron Rodgers is mids. 
and they didn't win that game, but they covered the spread. That's all we care about. Exactly. And Matt LaFleur is just so good at, I think, creating an offense that's pretty simple for a quarterback to run in that (laughs) you don't have to come in and like, as long as you know, you know the plays, but it doesn't require a lot from the quarterback armed talent wise Um, Um, when they don't have to be an athletic marvel. It's just like Rodgers helps a little bit by getting himself out of some problems. But if you just run that offense as it's meant to be run, like Colt McCoy could come in and do pretty well. Yeah. And that's always our barometer, right? Like, could Colt McCoy do this? If so, it's pedestrian and we're not impressed. If he cannot do it, then that's an impressive play. And if we would be disappointed in Colt McCoy for failing here, then it's bad. Um, But I'm really glad you brought up the offense because that is the most perfect segue to quarterback number four. I think that the reputations that quarterbacks four and five get from the media are like literally back asswards when it comes to scheme and performance on the field. All right. With all this lead up, I'm excited. Who we got at number four? I'm not excited. I'm actually legitimately nervous to say that uh, starting quarterback number four is Baker Mayfield. And before you all laugh, get fucked. That's all. (laughs) That's the whole analysis. Um, The whole analysis is get fucked. Um, Yeah. Where should we begin? Yeah, this is a guy that we've we've talked about once or twice on the pod before. Hmm. Yep. Um, right off the bat, I'll say I'm not quite as high on Baker as you are, but I'm not far behind you. Like he's definitely top ten to me. Yeah, um, and I think his his only limitations are in his brain, and they're let's, not even necessarily football field. But let's get into it. Yeah, let's start there. So, common misconceptions about Baker: Ben Solak famously does not like to watch football. Uh, believes that Baker Mayfield does not have a strong arm, get fucked. Uh, Baker Mayfield's got definitely a top 10 arm as far as arm strength goes. It, I give it an A-. minus. It could be an A. The guy has literally got the longest charted air yardage throw of all time, according to Next Gen. He, he threw it just about as hard as Josh Allen did at the Combine. He threw three miles an hour less hard than Josh Allen, tied with Patrick Mahomes for second of all time at the Combine. Exactly. Uh, like the guy has a very strong arm. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, but he has to put his whole body into his throat. Well, his release is super fucking quick. So in the end, it all comes out the same. I really don't care. And if you go and check out my article on Patreon, which is still free, we haven't changed it since the beginning of the podcast. Free Patreon. No money required for the Patreon. What is on the Patreon instead of payment windows is videos of Baker Mayfield with a torn left labrum slinging the ball on the run off platform, off his back foot, 30, 40 yards. Is it always accurate? Maybe not. And we can get to that. But as far as arm strength goes, if it isn't elite, it's damn close. And there's just nothing. If you can't agree with that, you're not being honest with yourself. And the conversation can stop there. Yeah, I agree. I think there are a lot of things you can pick on Baker about. But his ability to put the ball in just about any spot on the field, if, you know, accuracy involved, is unquestioned like his arm is incredibly strong yeah he has to torque a lot for it but he was still able to put really good zip on the ball while beat to hell last year so i don't think that you really have worry about the torque on his body still has a quick release guy's got a cannon yeah and um and as far as accuracy goes like i think we can agree that there are occasional lapses in its precision and consistency of accuracy, but like the reason the guy went first overall is that even Colin Cowherd has to acknowledge that the dude's pretty goddamn accurate. Yeah, no, he's he's a very accurate quarterback. I think he does have a tendency to throw off his back foot a little bit that make him that can make him sail stuff. And whether yeah. that's line issues or injury issues or whatever, um, that is like the only knock I have on him is that sometimes he can sail stuff because he doesn't push 
push all the way through. Otherwise, I mean, wasn't he like the most accurate quarterback in college football history by PFF's grading? Yeah, and up until last year, he was the most accurate quarterback in the NFL since he broke into the NFL on deep balls, uh, intermediate balls to the left. Um, the, the dude's fucking really accurate. Like he's really accurate. He's got a really strong arm. The only so. The only things you can knock Baker Mayfield for, uh, if you're Mike Tannenbaum, you really care that he's not tall and not fast, and then you go ahead and draft Mark Sanchez. So, like, what the fuck are you doing, Mike Tannenbaum? Um, if you're a legitimate human being with real thoughts in your brain, you could legitimately question Baker Mayfield's intelligence and processing ability. Um, so, again, just to keep keep form with everything I've done so far, like arm strength A, accuracy A minus, precision B plus, mobility B minus. Mayfield can move around, but he's not, you don't want to run the RPO with him. Um, And there's nothing more that needs to be said there. Pocket intelligence, really good at moving around in the pocket, but processing, I gave him a B, which is just good enough to be like a starting caliber quarterback. Like it's okay. And there's room to disagree there. Yeah. I think his processing is, is the biggest issue to me. And it's not even necessarily his ability to go through reads because we've seen him go through reads. Mm -hmm. I think his issue is tied to like his confidence when he's playing. If, if he's not confident in what he's seeing or he's not confident in his tackles or in his ability to make the throw because he's hurt, which I think was, you know, the issue last year, the tackle play really tanked him in the Freddie kitchen season. Like he, had happy feet that whole year. But I think when his confidence isn't where it needs to be, his processing really takes a hit and his pocket awareness takes a hit. Like the, those have always been the issues when I watch him are that as soon as he hits a rough stretch or he gets hurt and isn't playing like as good as he's used to, then his accuracy starts going all over the place. He bails out of the pocket quicker than he normally does. And it seems like he gets locked onto reads a little bit. So that's where he's tough to me because yeah. he does have all those other things. And when he's on, he can absolutely dice up defenses and move through multiple reads and find the open guy. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw it at part at parts of last year. Like you look at both of the Cincinnati games. Um, he, he absolutely fucking loves playing them. I don't know what it is. It, he, his blood gets pumping because what is he five and one against him? And probably. he plays really well every time. Yeah. Anyway, um, anyway, go go into those games. Yeah, I mean, like you look at his you look at his week nine game against Cincinnati. It's an A plus. It's on the caliber of any game you'll see. You look at week eight against Pittsburgh. It's an A minus. Week one against Kansas City before he famously got injured the next week. It's an A. His playoff game against Kansas City, A plus playoff game against Pittsburgh, A. Like the dude can really play football. We've seen him dominate defenses. But like OBJ's dad made a video and it wasn't CGI. Baker does have, and this isn't unique to him. This is actually one of my biggest gripes about Tom Brady, the greatest football player of all time at any position by a wide margin. Yeah, I'll fucking go there. We'll, Fuck you, we'll let that one go for now. We'll, eh. we'll let it go for now. I'm actually and an Aaron Donald guy, position is where you too. get me. I think I know. he's the I best know. quarterback ever. But yeah, we'll, no, definitely. Go, go ahead. We, it's the Baker part. Yeah, we're talking about Baker. Um, and, and this is a thing that Tom Brady does as well. Baker plays favorites with his wide receivers, and there are guys that he feels comfortable with and guys that he doesn't. And if he doesn't feel comfortable with you, you could be open all day. And he's just not going to throw it your way. He might look your way. He might want to throw it your way, but he's not going to make himself do it. And that kind of chemistry thing, and we, we just mentioned it with Rodgers a little bit to an extent with Devontae Adams. Devon, he's going to hone in on Devontae Adams and, you know, Equinemius St. Brown and uh, what's his name? Um, 
Marquez Valdez Scantling, yeah, they might not get the looks even if they're open because he just doesn't trust them. And maybe that's warranted. Tom Brady famously hates rookie wide receivers and can't get on the same page as a guy like Tyler Johnson, you know, need, you know, needs his security blanket and Antonio Brown to feel comfortable. Uh, so it's not unique to Baker, but it is certainly a thing that happens. He will look past dudes that he doesn't trust dudes that he can't count on. And yeah, OBJ ran a lot of bad routes, like not even just like he ran them poorly, like he would run his own fucking route a lot of the time in Cleveland. He, he was not part of the program. And I could understand how that would make a quarterback not want to look his way or not trust him. But at the end of the day, if you're passing up open downfield shots for checkdowns or for poor decisions forcing the ball, it's not good. And so I could see how you knock Baker Mayfield there and say like, See, this is the thing. This is the disconnect. As much as we're focusing on the negative of his processing, I can't understand a way in which somebody focuses in on this processing and says it's so bad that Baker is anything worse than a top 15 quarterback at the least. Yeah, I mean, so this is where I get lost in the critics of his processing, because there is a lot of people that talk about Baker as like a one read quarterback. And I've just never seen that. I mean, if you go back his entire career, college, he threw to everyone on his team. With the Browns, he's thrown to a lot of people on his team. Like, he he plays favorites a bit, but for the most part, he's really good that a lot of guys get one catch or something. And that fell off a little bit later. It's not so much that he doesn't play favorites as much as he plays unfavorites. Like, there are guys he just won't look to, he don't trust. But it's not that he, like, he doesn't have a guy like a Devontae Adams where it's just every play, I'm getting it to him. I, yeah, I agree with that. And like, we've seen that a lot in Cleveland where he'd have games where he'd have eight different receivers like consistently. And this is on bad Cleveland teams that have like two receivers worth, you know, two pass catchers worth actually getting the ball. So like he does spread it around. He keeps his eyes up and he looks around. It's just, I think it, when he's not comfortable, then he can lock on to guys. Yeah. Um, but in, in a vacuum, no, like he can do it. We've seen him do it. He can move to multiple options. Yeah. And like, again, and this is his injured year, right? We're not looking at like, Oh, what is Baker when he's healthy, but just talking about 2021, the guy was accurate per my grades on 77.3% of his passes. And I like, yeah, I'm not deaf. I hear that people are worried about my uh, biases towards Baker and I'm trying to put together a YouTube series where I show exactly how I grade each play in the games where I have the most radical opinions about him. And I've done one. It's on the Patreon. Go check it out. It's also on YouTube. Go check it out. Patreon's free. Um, so, but anyway, I commissioned you to grade all of Baker's dropbacks the same way I do. Like we've done games together. We've done plays together. You know how the chart works. So you took like the more cynical, like trying to poke holes, like really no yeah. benefit of the doubt approach. Well, because great- even I think you're a little biased about Baker. Like yeah. I, I think you are. And I love him. Like, I think he's amazing. And I'm even, I get into like, all right, dude, calm down. So it was, I, I did go in kind of like with a key thinks he sucked. Um, Joe even thinks like, all right, he had a pretty, he had a good year, but like, there's gotta be somewhere in between here. And I'm going to go into it looking more like, okay, if this was a quarterback, I hate it. How would I do it? And like, ideally those biases don't come in, but they do a little. 
And so, so I took as cynical of a route as I could. And what, what the numbers come out like? This, this is something I find really interesting. So your cynical look, I had Baker at 77.3% accuracy. Your cynical look had him at 73.82. Now, what is 73.82? Like, we got to put that into context, right? It doesn't mean shit. 73.82 would be more accurate than Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, and only slightly behind guys like Tom Brady, uh, Justin Herbert at 76.3, like 70, you're the, the lower mark, the one that you gave him at 70, almost 74 is still really good. And that's well hurt, torn labrum, shitty receivers, drama everywhere. Uh, I think he twisted his, he bruised his knee and he twisted his groin. Like coach that doesn't trust him, dysfunction. His, le- his left tackle got hurt on the fucking like 10th snap of the season. Never was the same. And he still put together a season where he's like pretty fucking accurate. Yeah, it was it was wild watching it because he had so many like that's a solid throw. That's a solid throw. That's a solid throw. Like I can't knock him for any of these. It was just so many plays that just didn't work. Mm -hmm. And that's where some of it I get into my head of maybe like he's not seeing people because there have been a lot of media that said, oh, there were guys wide open and he just wasn't hitting the open guys. But it looked like he was hitting open guys a lot or he was giving people chances to make plays. And, you know, maybe it's not the best chance in all those situations, but he was still good, man. Like, he wasn't great, but he was at worst an average quarterback for most of the season outside of he had a few really good games and, like, one or two really bad ones. Yeah, like, there's there's no denying, like, the New England game was an abomination of God. Like, yes. and and I paid for it dearly. Like, yeah, that one was that was rough. Yeah, it was terrible time on that game. And like and he got hurt mid like mid like third quarter. He got hurt again. But it was bad before that. It was terrible before that. It was just insult and injury. And like the Minnesota game that they won was not good. It was not. It was not good. No, it was hard to watch. But like at the same time, you get a couple of stinkers every year. We just went over how Aaron Rodgers had four or five. And you get a couple stinkers, especially when you're all beat up and your coach doesn't trust you and runs a backwards conservative offense and you have no wide receivers because say what you will about OBJ being washed or not washed. He very clearly didn't want to be in Cleveland from day one. He very explicitly on film was not going with the program, was running his own routes, was cutting shit off lazy, like didn't want to be there. And that means that his best receiver is Jarvis Landry. And Jarvis Landry has the athleticism of me with the height of slightly more than me. And I am too small and not fast. And he was also hurt last year. Like you have an athletically limited dude who is all now slow because he's hurt. And like 30. Like the guy ran an offensive tackles 40 yard dash 10 years ago. And now he's got a hurt leg and a bad shoulder and he's 30. Yeah, no, like, and he's 5'10 and he's got drop issues. Like, yeah, the receiving options were rough, especially because Stefanski refused to play in Joku and just loved trotting out Austin Hooper to be not good. The king of drops that PFF said had extremely sure hands. And I said, are you fucking kidding? And then he continued dropping balls. And I realized I shouldn't care what PFF says. Uh, yeah, no, it, is, it was a debacle of a season in a lot of ways. But even hurt, like if you watch the film, and I know it's hard. And I know that you probably don't want to, and you shouldn't because you probably have a life or like a good video game or a nap to take. But if you watch the film and you don't go into it with some kind of attitude or bias, you're going to walk away saying, yeah, you know what? That actually wasn't so bad. 
and God forbid he was healthy. Uh, unless, of course, you're that one dude on Twitter who said uh, Baker Mayfield sucks because he was healthy. He has a weak arm, but I actually he was healthy because I saw him throw a Hail Mary that was very far. He couldn't have done that if he was hurt. So therefore, the shoulder surgery was a lie and a ruse because he throws the ball too hard and also his arm is weak. This is the kind of mental gymnastics we're doing with Baker haters. Man, you know, I just love interacting with people on the internet. It always, it always pays off. It's never a fool's errand. It's always, you know, they give you good nuggets of information. But anyhow, uh, so yeah, my biased ass. And again, you can go watch on uh, YouTube or there's a link to it on my Patreon as well. I go through a game free where Patreon. I have free Patreon. I have a super hot take on uh, one of the Baltimore games. I forget which one it was. I gave him a B plus and you gave him, I think, a C. Uh, yeah. And I went through, you had four pickable balls. I had two, I want to say. And it basically came down to one ball that I thought was really good, great even, and you thought was pickable. Um, He tried to thread a needle. I thought it worked. You didn't. And that's basically the difference in the game grades. Um, You can go watch on YouTube. I literally go through every throw. So if you want to say like, oh, Joe is biased. He just loves Baker Mayfield. He does any kind of gymnastics. He needs to make himself believe that Baker is good. Go watch that video and tell, like, literally fucking tell me which plays am I off on? Just timestamp it. Say like at 523, you're full of shit because X. And I'll fucking take it to heart. I'm not trying to, Baker Mayfield's not paying me. I don't get a bonus if Baker Mayfield gets to the Pro Bowl. I want to know. I only do this shit because I want to know the truth. Like, I want to be able to bet on football games with an informed opinion. If you think I'm wrong, go fucking ahead. Tell me. I'm open to it. I want to be wrong. I don't want to be the only one out here fucking standing Baker Mayfield. This is fucking frustrating shit here. But the film tells me what the film tells me. And it tells me that Baker Mayfield's really good. And even injured fairly consistently good in a bad situation. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the same conclusion I got to after I watched everything of he's he's a good quarterback like he last year was an absolute shit show and he still was at worst an average player and honestly i think he was above average but i think even if you take like all right i'm gonna get upset about missing this and missing that like the most honing in on his weaknesses and he was still an average quarterback so now you put him in a situation where he has playmakers that want to be there and aren't 30 and slow or just make him healthy and you have a really good quarterback again keep him comfortable and i think he's easily a top five dude i think keeping him comfortable is the biggest issue but even when he's not he's a solid starter like even if you have him running around i think worst case you got a you got a guy that's going to be replacement level or above so the reason that i thought aaron Rodgers was such a good segue and i know that this is supposed to be a 2021 breakdown but like you got to take a little bit of the past to inform the present and the future and if you just go back to 2020 like pff advanced metrics literally everybody that said anything on the matter said that baker mayfield was really really good in 2020 right like he had those two games in tornadoes week eight and 10 against Oakland and Houston that like tanked his passing stats. And even with those, his efficiency ratings were crazy. His QBR was crazy. His PFF grade was crazy. Right. And the the, the detractors kept on saying like, well, you know, it's just, it's because he's playing in this dink and dunk offense with this stacked roster. He's just throwing these little check downs and it makes his stats look good, but he's not doing anything. And meanwhile, they're handing the MVP to Aaron Rodgers, who's literally doing that in almost the same offense, but in a more advantageous version of the same offense. And then Aaron Rodgers does it a fucking again, less efficiently with worse accuracy rating than Baker Mayfield in 2021, more cheap plays, like every single fucking thing. 
Baker Mayfield bested Aaron Rodgers per my metrics and yours in accuracy, uh, positive play rate, cheap play rate, slugging per game, which is the algorithm that assigns like number grades to each score, uh, number number scores to each game grade. Uh, he threw less, he had less turnover worthy plays per snap. And he had a higher average fucking grade per game. Per your grades, which are cynical, and mine, which are apparently rosy glasses biased as fuck. So, like, how do you fucking reconcile that with the the mainstream online narrative that, God, that sounded so Tucker Carlson-y. Uh, I was about <laughs> to say, Infowars. Um, right? Uh, but, like, how do you reconcile that with everybody saying, oh, Baker Mayfield sucks, he's a game manager, he's pedestrian. Like, I think it's literally just because he's short, white, and kind of chubby. Yeah, and they didn't win. Like, in 2020, yeah. they won. Uh, but that was, like, the coming out, or what was supposed to be, you know, the the beginning of it. And then last year, there was when they were supposed to hit that next level. And, I mean, honestly, there were people People that talked about like there are guys in the Browns that could be dark horse, you know, player of the year candidates or MVP candidates because they should be really good. And last year, if OBJ wanted to be there and the offensive line stayed healthy, it's a whole other story. But once the O-line was patchwork fourth and fifth stringers and none of the receivers cared. Or Blake Hans versus James Hudson. Pick yeah, one. Like they both started a lot of games. <laughs> together even yeah because the top three tackles were all either hurt or done for the year by like week two um and that's what i mean with like when baker's not comfortable especially with his tackle play like the freddie kitchens year man he he had a rough year and i think a lot was him just bailing out but that's even more back there i think baker just has to win some games and it is part of his personality rubs people the wrong way sometimes like yeah. he's a very he's a, a lightning rod like people either will run through a wall for him or want to throw him into that wall. <laughs> yeah. And it, it doesn't help when like one of the most charismatic guys in recent memory happens to be on your team and fucking hates it here. Yeah, that that I think that was a big turning point for a lot of people. Like there are a lot of people who like to clown on Baker and I think partially because of how he acted in college. Um but once OBJ like flipped on him, man, the floodgates opened. Everyone's like, "Oh, this dude's a clown." Yep. I mean, even even some of the rookies from the Browns last year talked about like, "No, nah, Baker was cool, but like OBJ was, you know, inviting people over to his house, giving him clothes and shoes and like taking care of dudes and like left and right looking out for people and he sounds like an absolutely incredible teammate so when he tells you like hey fuck this guy he sucks <laughs> yeah, i get it you're gonna believe him like but all right we'll have to see i think baker's matured and a bit and uh the i think he's also best when he everyone hates him and he um, has a wide receiver to throw to just one helps. at least so this year should be interesting. The coaching sucks, but we've talked yeah. about that already. I uh, I think that we've beaten the Baker horse as many times as we can. Uh, we have we have significantly desecrated that corpse. Uh, should we move on to? Because I think here there's a big gap between fourth four through like eight are basically all like these are franchise dudes, like legit franchise dudes. They will carry your team. Commit to them. And then yeah. three through one are like if you don't get to a Super Bowl with one of these three guys, somebody's got to get fired. 
And, and I think like the four, I'm going to say four through seven, because we know my feelings on number eight being where he is, but four through seven, like they're all pretty interchangeable too. I think you could make good arguments for any of them to be at any of those spots. Whereas at this point, like we're, there's a gap between these are the top three guys. These three are beyond reproach. You can't fuck with them. Yes. All right. With all that said, who do we got at number three? Number three, I actually just finished grading him as well. Look for a breakdown soon. Justin Herbert, the Wunderkind, famously my second or third overall quarterback prospect I've ever graded. Uh, I hit on that one and I didn't I didn't pound the drum hard enough on Twitter back in the day. I just like said like, oh, he's good. Dua sucks. Burrow's okay. Um, yeah, and I remember then, you had him as number one, but I didn't yeah. remember like, I, I just think you were, you weren't Baker level high on him. No, Baker is the number one quarterback I've ever graded out of college. Herbert was like two. And uh, ironically enough, my comp for him was Marcus Mariota. Um, <laughs> but Herbert got stuck in a really shitty conservative offense at Oregon that didn't really let him blossom and show everything he could be as this incredible physical talent who's also very intelligent. Um, And so uh, the Chargers did a really smart thing by making sure he had the exact same fucking offense in the NFL that really limits him. And it's why they will never win as many games as they should. Fuck Joe Lombardi. All my homies hate Joe Lombardi. Joe Lombardi did this same shit to Matt Stafford back in the day. A last name has never done so much for a man. But Justin Herbert is head and shoulders above the rest, uh, other than, of course, quarterbacks one and two. He's very smart. He's got some of the he's probably got the best sip on his throw of anybody in the NFL, including Josh Allen. Josh Allen's got a better arm, a more effortless arm. But Justin Herbert's got really good mechanics and he steps into those throws every time and he drives that fucking ball in there. It's just pretty. Uh, He's got A to A plus arm talent when it comes to strength. His accuracy is very good. His precision does need work and he is a work in progress. Dude sucks in the red zone. Just isn't good. Uh, A lot of it's play calling. A lot of it's him. But he's also going into his third year and he's getting better. You can see him getting better every year. Um, And this was a guy that you knew was going to need some work. Like I remember when he was coming out where we talked about like, you think he's good and can read a defense, but also there are times where you're like, this guy's an idiot. Yeah, that was literally my one knock on him was I have never seen this guy in a legitimate offense where he's making reads and like processing the whole game and like the game is on his arm. And I'm scared because it could be good. But it could suck, and I have no idea because I just haven't seen it. Um, it turns out the more leeway you give him, the better he does. He'll take that shit and run with it. Um, like, really, if it wasn't for Brandon Staley going for it in inexcusable situations and Joe Lombardi refusing to throw the ball more than five yards downfield, uh, Justin Herbert would have probably won MVP last year, and the Chargers would could have made a deep run in the playoffs. He's that fucking good. He's yeah. So fucking good. <laughs> like it, it seemed like every time they threw downfield, it went well for them. Yeah. And a lot of it was because Justin Herbert was just putting balls into perfect locations for his receivers. Yeah. But I mean it doesn't matter all that much if you don't really do it. I know. I know. And like if if you just put aside Tom Brady, because Tom Brady is a mutant that's on a different level, spoiler quarterback one is Tom Brady. It's not fucking fair how good he is compared to everybody else I've ever seen play this position, including and especially the ones that are playing it right now. Like Peyton Manning, there's, there's some competition. None of these dudes are Peyton Manning. Personally, I think we're in kind of a uh, weaker era of quarterbacks, despite being in an extremely league 
an extremely friendly league towards passers. Um, that's well, for a different pod. pushback you would get on that, but because I agree I, with you, and yeah, I feel like, like people know that, but also people really love a lot of the new guys. So I have- people also really love whatever's right in front of them. But I think that Tom Brady is head and shoulders number one. I think that Herbert and quarterback two Matt Stafford are like neck and neck, and I did not expect that. I expected this to be Brady is like up by your forehead and then Stafford's by your chin and Herbert's on your shoulder. And then everybody else is like hanging around your collarbone and sitting on your tits, but Herbert's like on your chin with Stafford. And that's like, I'm not comfortable with it, but it it was really good. And again, like I was really high on Herbert. He's one of, he's one of quote unquote, my guys. I staked my claim to him being quarterback one in a draft where people love the other two guys who went ahead of him. But it's a little bit uncanny that everything's this clean, like 2.8 average game grade. That's a legit B. Like the only guys with better average game grades are Stafford and Brady. That's it. Like accurate on 76% of his passes. One of the V, arguably the best negative play rate. Uh, One of the better positive play rates, despite being in such an extremely conservative offense. And the dude's got legs. He really does. Like I knew he moved well at Oregon, but I did not. I did not think he was going to be this good of a runner. He's not as vicious as Josh Allen, but it's a similarly imposing prospect of a guy who can really throw the ball anywhere on the field at any moment. They both have like that four six four seven speed, where like they could be a tight end if they wanted. Uh, Allen's six five. Herbert's six six, which is ridiculously tall. And Allen will run through you. Herbert won't. He's way too smart about it. Like he loves sliding a little bit early. But just seeing a guy who's six foot six, probably two thirty, running at you as a cornerback has to have some effect in helping you gain yards as the runner. Uh, also worth noting. Justin Herbert is the single best quarterback I've ever graded in any season when it comes to fumbling. Really? He had one fumble on 717 dropbacks last year. Wow, that's that's really impressive. That's yeah. even Jarvis Green-Ellis numbers. Yeah, no, and so for a guy that's big and explosive and has all this physical talent to also be that protective of the ball, and he only threw an interception on 1.5% of his dropbacks, so he's protecting the ball in the air and on the ground. He's a fucking dreamboat, and he also looks like that. It's just not fair, and my girlfriend thinks I'm gay for Justin Herbert. She does. He's he's a very handsome man, and he has incredible hair. And he's smart, and he's good at football, and he's a freak athlete. It's not right what he does. Some people are just better than us. Yeah, and Justin Herbert is just better than all the quarterbacks in the NFL not named Matt Stafford or Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I I haven't watched as much of him as you, per usual. But, man, the guy's just so impressive. Like, he's up there in the Josh Allen Mahomes level of fun to watch because he can do anything at any point. Um, We saw it a lot last year. Lucky that we got a lot of primetime games later in the season with them. I mean, obviously, that Raider game to end the year was incredible like that was one of the coolest football games of recent memory oh yeah and he's always at the forefront like it's not like some other highly talked about guys where you know the quarterback's involved but it's the rest of the team that's kind of doing it it's kind of herbert or nothing at a lot of points last year for them and he's just a blast he's he's really fun to watch uh i hope they get some better offensive play calling around him and kind of tailor the offense more to him especially as he gets 
gets older and gets a little more seasoning on that on his processing but i'm excited to continue watching him play and i'm happy that we probably got like 10 15 years of watching him yeah no the, the kid is dragging just a stupid offense and a poor head coach dragging them in a tough division to playoff contention and frankly like if it wasn't for some fluky bullshit they would have been in the playoffs last year and i think they would have made noise so they certainly would have beat the fucking Bengals. I say that despite the fact that the Bengals almost beat them in the regular season because of some more bullshit from Brandon Staley. But yeah, no, Justin Herbert's fucking incredible. It, it's to the point where there's not a lot you can say. Like, <laughs> he's really tall and fast and strong, and he puts the ball where he wants it almost always. Like, what? If, there's no analysis to do. Yeah, like, he's still, you know, he makes, he has his brain farts, and he yeah. makes his kind of silly mistakes with decisions. But hey, he's really good already. Yeah, he, he's another. With how young he is, it's exciting. He's another one of those guys where the way you stop Justin Herbert is that you pray to Christ that Justin Herbert stops Justin Herbert by missing a throw he should hit. That's it. Because he can hit everything. He knows where the open guy is. He usually does hit everything. It's just sometimes like he'll put a ball into the ground. It happens. Happens to everybody. Apparently, even Justin Herbert, quarterback three, 2022. All right, Joe. We're into the final two. The tippy top of the tiers. Who do we have at number two? Uh, number two, and I think even in a class above Justin Herbert, uh, and it pains me to say that, is Matt Stafford. Finally, there was a moment, there was a, about a 30 or 40 day moment this offseason when Matt Stafford was quarterback one. Finally, the promised son had ascended to the top of the tippy toppy mountain. But uh, then Tom Brady came back and took his throne again. Um, no, Matt, Matt Stafford, it it was so perfect. A year ago, I was sitting in, I think I was at the Westgate in Vegas, and I got the notification that the Rams had just traded for her or uh, Matt Stafford. And I, I said immediately, like, okay, Sean McVay, elite coach, just got Matt Stafford, elite, borderline elite quarterback. They're going to be Super Bowl contenders. This is, at worst, the second best team in the league. And sure enough, after an epic showdown with arguably the best team in the league in the Buccaneers, the Rams won out. It wasn't always pretty, but it kind of was. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where like people talk about, and even my my instinct is like, ah, it took a while for the Rams to like get going. They weren't always the Super Bowl juggernaut, right? Uh, I say that, but they were like six and one before wide receiver cluster injuries kind of slowed them down a little bit. And like he played very poorly against Arizona, but like everything else was stellar. He's really good, man. I was I was nervous when he went there because he was always so exciting in Detroit, but you know, they didn't win. Even when their offense was really good, they didn't win. I mean, when they have one playoff game, I don't think they even won a playoff game. Right. But they went to one. Oh yeah. And then they lost on the, uh, on the bullshit uh, call with the Cowboys. Remember there was like that BS pass interference call that was total yeah, phantom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then but the next so, week like, the NFL undid it with the Des. Did he catch it? Exactly. Yeah. I remember they, uh, <laughs> officiating problems never go away um yeah but i like he went to one playoff game his entire time in detroit and even though he was good like it wasn't working you know yep and so is worried that once he's in high pressure situations like who knows maybe he plays different when the game matters and it's not just a bunch of garbage time and like teams playing the lions and i and i like him a lot so i was kind of worried like all right what if he goes and he's just kind of like decent like and it goes from a guy that we've always thought was 
elite and near the top of the league. And he just kind of like squanders it and is a little bit better than Goff. But that did not happen. He was really good. Obviously, like he had some he had some pick issues and he didn't have a flawless season, but largely really good. And I mean, they won the Super Bowl. They they got it done. Yeah, and that that was what kind of scared me too is like long before the Baker takes, long before the Marcus Mariota takes, there was the Joe believes that Matt Stafford's an elite quarterback, but he can't seem to win 10 games. And then my argument is, well, it's fucking Jim Caldwell and the Lions. It's a terrible offensive line. It's one wide receiver at best. This guy just needs help. (laughs) He just needs any, like quarterback is huge, but it's only about 35% of the fucking pie. That's a big ass slice, but it's not enough to fill you up and get you to the Super Bowl. So Matt Stafford going to such a perfect scenario because I was also always championing the Jared Goff sucks. It's actually just Sean McVay. It's Sean McVay and a decent roster and and, you know, Cooper Cup is a solid slot receiver and get golf is getting by because of everything around him. So it was really if anything less than a Super Bowl would have been a subtle disappointment for Matt, me, for me personally, given my takes on Matt Stafford. And finally, I get vindication, right? Finally, Matt Stafford pulls off an awesome season where he is legitimately very good and overcomes significant diversity to be consistently great at football, win a championship over a hyped media darling, beating Tom Brady, like the most difficult. He beat Aaron Rodgers. No, he beat the team that beat Aaron Rodgers. He beat Tom Brady. He beat the chosen golden boy, Joe Burrow. So naturally, right, everybody's going to be like, Joe, you were right. Matt Stafford's elite. No, of course not. Wrong. (laughs) Wrong. Wrong. Yeah. It's a full disclosure. We've been recording this podcast for like four days because we keep on having things come up. But uh, at the beginning of the podcast, it was what, Friday when Kyler Murray had just signed his contract? Well, now it's Monday and Mike Sando has just dropped the quarterback rankings article he does every year. And it's just about as worthless as ever. And Matt Stafford is not even in the top tier. He's he's not. I think he's like like number 12. Egregious bullshit. I thought he was like still top 10, but yeah, very bad. He's in the tier two. Yeah. And uh, he went on Cowherd show. Okay. Seven's not as bad, but it's bad. And he, uh, he went on Colin Cowherd show and explained that it's mostly because of those late interceptions uh, that Matt Stafford has become known for somehow, I guess, Uh, which is really fun. Because if you just grade every single drop back like I've done and you just put it up against other top 10 quarter top eight quarterbacks, because I think that's really the line for like, this is a franchise guy. You can't not sign him. Right. Or maybe top seven because Marcus Mariota can't play ever. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's valid. If I'm signing Mariota, I don't know how stoked I am because he might not play, but we did Mariota already uh, two days ago. Matt Stafford threw a pickable ball. 23 times on 719 dropbacks. That is good for 3.2%, which is slightly above average. It's slightly more interceptable passes per play than the average quarterback that I've graded. I've graded about 26 now. That's not awesome. Here are a couple of quarterbacks in the top eight who threw pickable balls more often. Josh Allen with 3.3%, just nudging him out. Patrick Mahomes with 3.25%, just barely nudging him out. Here's a quarterback with a very similar interceptable throw rate. Aaron protect the ball, Rodgers, 2.9%. So yes, Stafford throws picks. And yes, they are more frustrating than when most other players throw picks. But he throws a pick on 3.51% of his aimed passes, which is 
again, very normal amongst the top eight quarterbacks. He's protecting the ball overall better than most of the other quarterbacks in the top eight because he doesn't fumble. There's no valid criticism against Matt Stafford, especially when you factor in that apparently last year he played the entire year needing a back surgery. Yeah, I mean, I still think that the pickables is an issue because we talk about the pickables for Mahomes and Allen and a bit about Rodgers and how they're underplayed. So I think it is an issue and a weakness in his game. And they did protect him a little bit as the year went on where they limited some of the downfield stuff. But overall, yeah, I mean, he's incredible because he's so good at everything else. And the picks really aren't that bad of an issue. Like you said, they feel bad in the times that they happen. There's something to be said about that of late game picks or, you know, crunch time picks do hurt more. But overall, the guy's really good. Like he's he he can go to all three levels. He's accurate. He's incredibly tough. I mean, he keeps playing through injuries. You know, you can count on him and he stays in it mentally where even after he'll go and throw some bad picks outside of a couple games where he would throw some bad picks and then completely implode. But for the most part, like he can have some bad plays and still come back from it. And you can count on him throughout the game, no matter what's happening. Yeah. And, and like to the, to the clutch point, And I hear that the last four games of the season, all playoff games, wild card game against Arizona. He got an A in the first half and I stopped grading because he dominated so thoroughly that the game was no longer worth grading divisional round versus Tampa Bay B plus. And frankly, it could have been higher if they didn't get out to such a demanding leader. Uh, conference championship against San Francisco. Yes, I know he had the very ugly arm punt that Jaquiski Tart dropped. I know. It was gross. It was a terrible throw. Bad decision. Lucky to get away with it. It's still just one pickable ball. And other than that, he was immaculate. A-plus game. Like, not even close. He was. He had a positive play on 40.5% of his plays. Fucking accurate on 80, 80.5% of his throws. Unreal game. And then the Super Bowl, where OBJ goes down early, or else that game's a blowout. Cooper Cup is being doubled, and he literally has no third receiving option. He still put up a B-plus with a heroic last-second drive to win the game. Yeah, he definitely did a lot of work to shed any of the late-game stuff. And I don't think there's too much question about him late-game because he's led a lot of fourth-quarter comebacks before. I mean, I think he's near the top in fourth-quarter yeah. comebacks since which is, he's been in the league. Which is crazy because it means that he's winning football games for the Detroit Lions. And this isn't yeah. just like this isn't just laundry scouting, like, oh, they're the Lions, they'll always suck. A little bit that, but like, but look at those rosters, man. Yeah. Like he had Calvin Johnson, which is incredible, but beyond yeah. that, like those teams were empty. But so like he has some of that clutch, but I think this year when people were wondering how's he gonna do under the bright lights, early in the year he had a lot of those late game picks and some crushing stuff. And even in the playoffs, he had some picks that were a little concerning, but he righted the ship and you know, played really well, as you pointed out, through all those games. And again, they won. Like, he was the quarterback that got it done. He had late game stuff. He was a major deciding factor in why they got that championship. Yeah, and honestly, I'm hopeful that as long as his health holds up and his arm doesn't fall off his shoulder, and it could because he's getting up there in age, but it's also Matt Stafford. So, like, in 2021, he still had an A-caliber powerful arm. Like, that, it's not an issue yet. Um, It's not even close to being close to being an issue yet. But, you know, Matt Stafford used to have an A-plus arm. He was a little used to having an A-plus arm. And there were times early in the season last year where uh, Arizona, the Arizona game week four comes to mind, where he threw deep balls thinking like, oh, I can muscle it 65 yards downfield and I can get it there. 
And he can't. He's mortal for the first time in his life. And I think that, you know, as long as he continues to adjust to that and it doesn't get too much worse, he'll continue to be excellent. But I think that his second year in the McVay system, he's going to be a lot better because most of his interceptions this year actually came in the middle of the field when he is struggling to adjust to a disguise or he doesn't know what his hot route is against pressure. And he's only going to get better at knowing the offense. They own, they added Allen Robinson. So he actually has a legitimate number two receiver. Say what you will about OBJ. He got signed in the middle of the season, didn't know the offense for two weeks, which is normal. And assuming OBJ is the fastest learner of all time, he could start like legitimately participating in the offense around week 11 or 12 because they had a bye week, week 11. So let's say that the Green Bay game week 12 is like OBJ's first real game. That means that Stafford got like six games of him before before he got hurt in the Super Bowl and didn't play the entire Super Bowl. Robert Woods was hurt and Robert Woods was mids and they had no third receiving option the whole year because Deshaun Jackson is weird. He just doesn't want to play, I guess. Yeah, Allen Robinson is definitely an upgrade for them as far as playmakers go and should be a really nice compliment. Uh, they're going to be able to kick. They're going to kick Cup into the slot now because they've got legitimate outside dudes in Van Jefferson and Allen Robinson. This offense could, again, Super Bowl hangover could exist. I mean, it does exist in a lot of cases. It could exist substantially in this case because they do live in L.A. And uh, as as an oh fuck as an Angelino myself, uh, there's a lot of fun shit to do in L.A. That's not football. And the rumors are true. Nobody in L.A. gives a fuck about football, Rams, Chargers, or otherwise. So it would be, I could see it. I could see some regression coming from just like. Okay, we did it. We got the ring. We you know time to coast, make our money, have some fun. But assuming that their heads are in the right spots, I think the Rams can be even better this year. I think Matt Stafford, in particular, could be even better this year. My only concern for Stafford moving forward is that injuries take a toll on him because we've yeah. already seen him regress a little bit physically, and now he's had a couple years of back issues. Yeah, and back issues are one that like can take your career really quickly. I feel like. And they don't get better. Like you can't have, uh, for the most part, back surgery isn't like a fix. Where no. okay, your back's good now. It's just like okay, your back is functioning again. Um, so I'm a little worried about his back health moving forward. But that might be getting way too deep into it. Um, it, assuming he stays healthy and doesn't regress physically a lot, yeah, they should be really good, man. Yeah, I Matt Stafford's quarterback too. And there's the only knocks that anybody could legitimately even honestly purport to have against Matt Stafford are just bullshit like quarterback wins or like uh, he, he wasn't the driver of that team. Cooper Cup was at which point, you know, that somebody like doesn't actually watch football and you don't have to yeah. interact with them. And that's OK. And like the defense was good and helped out a lot and was clutch in a lot of situations, but he had to do a lot of work for him. Like it was mm -hmm. not, you know, nine to seven games. Yeah, I, the man had an elite throw on 3.3% of his dropbacks. It's it's the third highest of graded quarterbacks so far behind only Brady and Rodgers. And he didn't have the luxury of all the checkdowns that Rodgers did. Like Rodgers, Rodgers 45.3% of Aaron Rodgers' aimed throws, or sorry, 45.3% of Aaron Rodgers' dropbacks ended with an aimed throw that was pedestrian. So like checkdowns that were successful. Matt Stafford was at 40. It, it, you know, like Aaron Rodgers, more than half of the dropbacks, Aaron Rodgers was doing something that was a gimme, such as a check down, a throw away, or a run for like two, three yards. 
like Matt Stafford, that's only 43.8. The degree of difficulty was so much higher and he was so successful with it. He was above average in elite throws, great throws, solid throws, pedestrian throws. And then he was below average in the good way on bad throws and interceptable throws. Like the guy was stellar. Yeah, he's really good. He's fun to watch. I mean, he's not the same excitement level as some of the other guys we've talked about. No, and he's not what he used to be either. Because there, w- there was a day in like 2012, let's say, Stafford was on that Herbert, Josh Allen, like, holy fuck, how does he do that level? Yeah, he never had the same mobility. No. But as far as, yeah, the crazy just arm talent. Yeah, he I'd, argue he was, I'd argue he was a better passer than even Herbert back in the day. Just because a little more arm strength, but better placement. Just there was nothing he couldn't do. He was a Greek god that just got stashed in Detroit and ruined as so many other great quarterbacks do. Not necessarily Detroit, but like bad teams. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's uh, all there is to say about Matt Stafford. You want to get to number one, the tippiest top of the mountain? Uh, The tippiest of the tippy tops is still Tom Brady. And it's at the point where there's just not that much to say, because in the year 2022, if, if anybody is still out there trying to denigrate what Tom Brady is doing, they don't fucking know what they're looking at. And there's no amount of evidence that's going to change any. Like the man has the highest rate of elite throws in the NFL. He is 45 and apparently, uh, okay, there's a few things we can talk about. One, traits. This this story that like Tom Brady isn't the most physically talented, doesn't have the best arm. It's fucking ludicrous. He's got an A minus arm power. Absolutely. I saw some people get pissed that he's got a 93 arm strength in Madden. And like 93 might be a little high, but it's at least 90. The guy is really good at throwing the football far and with great zip. He's, I I don't know, if he's lost a touch of his velocity, I can't see it. And like, I know that he's lanky and moves giraffe-like and he looks kind of dorky and he did the combine in cargo shorts because it was a different era. I understand. And it all, it's all so exquisitely easy to dunk on. But like the, the guy got drafted by the Montreal Expos like to play catcher in the MLB because of his remarkable arm and his ability to throw the ball from home plate to second base faster and more accurately than other prospects. Like he's a physical talent. It just doesn't look like a Mahomes or Allen. It's just a different kind. Yeah, I don't think he has the same like ability to just flick his wrist and get it down there that Mahomes and Allen and even to a certain point Rodgers oh, yeah. did. No. But yeah, he can put the ball. I mean, we have it on film that he can throw the ball three quarters of the football field. I was going to say, we everybody remembers uh, the Super Bowl where they blew the perfect season to the Giants in, I guess that was 08 when the Super Bowl occurred. But like with three seconds left, he hit Randy Moss in the hands about 78 yards downfield, was it? It was, yeah, it was about there. I know it was over 75. Yeah, I, if he, if Randy Moss gets like two centimeters higher on his jump and gets that ball clean, Patriots kick a field goal and win the Super Bowl to cap the perfect season in the most miraculous of fashions. Yeah, I mean, that would have been, <laughs> that probably would have been the greatest play ever. Like, yeah, no, easily, easily the greatest play ever. Like, Almost 80 fucking yards on the one throw from the best quarterback to the best receiver. It would have been lovely. Uh, I rooted so hard against the Patriots in that game because my dumbass didn't want anybody to have a better record than the 85 Bears. Uh, I was a child. It's not my fault. Fanaticism is a disease. Yes. And that's why I got rid of it uh, with my baby teeth. 
you finished losing teeth in middle school? I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. That sounds late. Okay. But... I, I got a new one. I got a new one that sounds less immature. I got rid of my fanaticism with my virginity. There you go. That also might be, I don't know what age rate you're talking about. And I'm going to keep it that way. All uh... right. Fair <laughs> enough. I was going to say that there's a wide range of outcomes here. <laughs> we might Actually, need to have a discussion depending on. Still a Bears fan. What are you talking about? Um <laughs> Um, yeah, so Tom Brady's still got a great arm, and the he's throwing downfield a lot with the Buccaneers, as he always should have been with the Patriots. Fuck Bill Belichick, all my homies hate Bill Belichick. He's no better than Mike Vrabel. He's just fatter. Uh, I think he's a little better than Mike Vrabel, but yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody is, but I still. But hate I, him. I get your point. He's wildly over. Yeah, and and they at least, especially the last like four years, Brady was there. They really constrained that offense, made it lots of dinks and dunks, and that might have a lot to do with McDaniel. Might have a lot to do with Brady. Um, I would say that the largest knock on Brady's game today is that the more control he gets over the offense, the more uh, old-fashioned the offense looks. For some reason, that befuddles me to no end. Elite, elite, genius quarterbacks, the best of the best, such as Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, fervently believe in running the ball to set up the pass, which is so backwards and anachronistic. But hey, Tom Brady likes running halfback dive on first down. I thought it was Byron Leftwich. I hated Byron Leftwich. I thought all my homies hated Byron Leftwich. Turns out the hate was misplaced. Byron Leftwich is great. He knows to throw the ball. He throws the ball downfield. All my homies are proud of Byron Leftwich. But Brady wants to run the ball. It's stupid, but at some point you have to hold it against him because he's going to negatively impact your offensive coordinator by having clout and forcing negative play selection through that clout. It's the LeBron effect. Yes. You get the incredible talent, but you have to put up with the uh, the front office or coaching stuff where you're like, dude, like, I get it. That's not the worst idea, but we can know Rondo. I know Rondo used to be good, but it is no longer 2012. Of all the signings, you pick Rajon Rondo. Yeah, dude, I don't know basketball. That one stuck out. Um, Because I I never got it. He was on the team for like 40 games. I fucking had no idea. But the point remains the same. Brady wants to run the ball. Brady wants to throw the ball in high leverage situations. It's just that he's so goddamn good that it works. And, like you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier with uh, Baker is uh, one of the aspects of Brady's game is that he really has to trust a guy to throw the ball to him. So he won't go five wide and legitimately use his fourth and fifth options because they're not Antonio Brown. They're not Chris Godwin and they're not Mike Evans. And those are his homies. Uh, also Gronk. Like there is a legitimate argument to be made that Gronk in 2020 in 2021 was not the best tight end on their roster. He was just the one that Brady trusted. And Gronk was actually really good in 2021. It was probably his best year in several, but there is a favoritism effect. Uh, And again, it's another thing that like, you can't, you don't want to hold it against Tom Brady because it's not, it's not quite on film, but it's a negative impact that you have to understand will show up. That said, again, 75.7% accuracy while having probably the most aggressive passing offense in the entire NFL, maybe a little less aggressive than the Bills. Uh, He was great at accuracy, great at producing positive plays, great at avoiding negative plays, very few pedestrian plays relative to the rest of the league. His slugging score was fucking off the charts. He averaged 8.25 a game. The second best that I've found is averaging like five a game in 2021. So he's crushing it. Uh, His most common grade, his mode was an A+. 
His average was a 3.4. His median was a 3.7. Again, nobody touches these. So a lot of the time people say like, who's elite? And like, you know, I said that Stafford and Herbert are in a tier above the rest with Brady. But Brady is on a tier above both Stafford and Herbert by a significant margin. So like really the only elite quarterback in the NFL is Tom Brady. And then Stafford and Herbert are like great. And then Mayfield, Rogers, Mahomes, Allen are very good, less great. And then basically everybody after that is like acceptable or sucks. Yeah. Brady is in a class of his own. I mean, you brought up the the issues of he's going to make you run the ball more than you want to or more than you should. But when he is throwing the football, he's still incredible. Like he's 45 years old. And when he gets the ball, if you're the opposing team, you're terrified every single time. God forbid it's a one score game in the final two minutes. You're like, oh, fuck, we lost. <laughs> like it's over. Yeah. I, and there, you know, again, going back to the arm strength thing, because it's really the only thing that's in debate anymore, right? Like there's nothing else to talk about. But yeah, his. <laughs> He can, he can attack any area of the field and he does it better than anybody. And he had, I've only graded 11 of his games from last year, simply because I thought he was retired and there would be no, actually, there would be no practical use to grading more of his games. Cause I already know he was great. I knew he was the best and he's not playing next year. One of those premises is wrong now, but the, the song remains the same. I know Tom Brady's going to be fucking awesome when he comes back. So in 11 games, Tom Brady has five A pluses and two A minuses. That's dumb. We talked about we talked about Matt Stafford being consistently really good. He had five A minuses and two A pluses in 21 games. Like he had one A, so it's four A minuses, one A, and two A pluses. Tom Brady is just lapping the field. Nobody's close. That's all there is to say about him. Like if you think for a second that Tom Brady's not the best quarterback in the NFL, I want you to sit down and think really hard. And then bet on football games because you don't fucking know what you're looking at. And I want you to soften my markets so I can make money. And that's why we do all of this. Kind of. It's our excuse for doing all of this. Yeah, that's what I'd say. We'd be doing this anyway. I fucking but... did this shit before I knew about gambling. But now I have a reason that it is somewhat acceptable in certain circles. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good spot to end on our final quarterback ranking episode. It's been a whirlwind. Yeah. What a now time to mix, we've had looking at all the quarterbacks. Now to mix this down, post the final pot of the series, make a Twitter post, get eviscerated by Bengals fans and Dolphins fans and everybody who hates Marcus Mariota and Baker Mayfield. So everybody. And uh, I don't know. We'll have to figure something else out for the next like four weeks. Oh, we could do our, uh, we can maybe do divisions in the four weeks between now and the season starting. We'll see. I was about to say, I think we've lined up pretty perfectly to do divisions for three weeks and then uh, jump into football, make some fucking money enter the super contest. Hell yeah. All right. Once again, if you disagree with any of these takes, you can tweet you can tweet at me and I might take the bait. I might bite. I you might have some fun argument. <laughs> I might bite. I'll, I'll watch from the shadows and only jump in if things get really out of hand. But if you really truly disagree with me, what I want you to do is follow my picks and then fade them. Bet on football games. Do what you think because you're so clearly more intelligent and more informed than me. And at the end of the year, we'll just we'll compare results. We'll see. We'll see what's up. With that, Asta. Thank you.